0: blog talk radio Ten, nine,
1: eight, seven. 7
2: Minions, my name is Tom Markwiesel. Today you have stumbled across the number one internet sports talk show in the world between the hours of 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And welcome to all of our affiliate radio stations who have joined us all across this great land of the United States of America. It's good to be American. It's good to be a sports fan. This is the one place where you, the sports fanatic, can come together. Talk about your favorite teams in sports, and if you're a Browns fan, well, let's hear it. Let's rip. Let it, let it rip. I think we, th- that the quarterback question in Cleveland uh, has been answered, and we'll get into that later on in the show, but yes, what a win for the Cleveland Browns. They can, they knock one off. The beer coolers come unlocked. We'll get into that later on in the show. Coming up here at the top of the hour, we've got Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, Going to be giving us a recap of the 2018 IndyCar season, and we'll kind of um, tip our toes a little bit, bit into some college football talk uh, as we were unable to uh, get breaking on, on Wednesday. Uh, we apologize for that, but we'll do our best to make it that for you. Uh, our executive producer, Rick Brecken, will be joining us in the show today as well. And Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, going to be joining us and talking with us a little bit about the Eagles and the Colts matchup. Of course, that big win with the Cleveland Browns over the Jets uh, and and the uh, and who who their quarterback may or may not be. The suspense is so high. Um, Mo from the BS Sports Show joins us as well. As always, this is the one place you want to be. 917-889-8516 is my digits. If you want to call and talk, We're all ears. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. Tonight.
3: The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom.
4: It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive-through safari. Feed the animals, see live educational shows, feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure.
2: All right, and welcome back to The palace. My name is Tom Mark President. Presidente. Uh, we're going to be uh, joined here in just a moment by uh, Matthew Embry, uh, who is our official IndyCar contributor, but also uh, jumps on and talks some Notre Dame football. So we're going to get into that with him now. Uh, Matthew Embry, how are you doing, sir? We're
5: well, it's another Notre Dame Saturday, but I tell you what, uh, consider what's happened in the last two weeks, a close shave against Ball State, another close shave against the Vanderbilt team that was too mistake-prone to beat the Irish. Uh, this Wake Forest game being the first road game of the year uh, certainly uh, provides a landmine that Notre Dame uh, all of a sudden is going to have to dodge, and considering when we talked at the start of the year on breaking rank with Rick Riggin, uh, this is a, certainly a different scenario than what we were expecting at the start of the year.
2: Yes, absolutely, and I do want to get into that, and we will get into that, but I do want to, because you also are our official IndyCar contributor, I want to kind of do a recap of the 2018 season and uh, kind of look at what's coming up with Funny Season. Obviously, Scott Dixon wins championship out in Simona, uh, and uh, Marco Andretti comes in fifth. Uh, Just kind of give us a recap of what we saw in 2018 IndyCar.
5: Well, obviously, a fifth title for Scott Dixon. That's the big deal right there, uh, Ryan hunter Ray closing out the year with a victory. Uh, unfortunately, uh, first lap uh, faux pas cost Alexander Rossi a shot. Solid season for Will Power, finishing third, winning the Indy 500. And, uh, of course, defending uh, the title, uh, Joseph Newgarden finishes fifth in points. And then you have the second highest of the Hondas, Ryan hunter Ray, uh, jumping all the way to the fourth thanks to the double points race at Sonoma. Uh, Obviously, with this being the last race at Sonoma, the final race, of course, this upcoming year will be at Laguna Seca. So it's going to be an interesting turn and obviously a nostalgic turn, as that was a common uh, finale during the old cart years, pre-'96 splits. So uh, a lot to look forward to for next year, and especially an increased car car count. And while that's all going on, obviously the talk of where Fernando Alonso may end up is still uh, a question mark at this point. Uh, and that's obviously that's the big uh, chip to fall at this point. As to uh, the silly season is where he will end up now that Scott Dixon has announced that he is staying with Ganassi and not going to this proposed McLaren organization.
2: Well, you know, you're right. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's waiting to see where this domino is going to fall. We saw Fernando Alonso do some testing. Uh, So I think it's apparent that he's at least going to run the Indy 500 uh, and maybe a couple other races. I don't know if it'll be a full-time ride yet, but certainly it's going to create a ripple effect uh, throughout IndyCar. So we're certainly going to be watching it uh, quite regularly. Uh, Nice to see Robert Wickens on the road to recovery. Uh, What do we know new about him? Obviously uh, he is – moving his legs i think a lot of it is is uh with uh with assistance but hey it's moving in the right direction don't know if we'll ever see him in a, in a race car again and right now that's obviously not the most important thing on everybody's mind Good to, just to see that he's alive and recovering but what do we know about robert wickens
5: well i think right now wickens at this point uh unless some miracle happens now granted we were surprised when sebastian bordet came back as soon as he did I think the earliest we're going to be talking about Robert Wickens, if at all, would be 2020. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, who Schmidt-Peterson adds as a replacement, and obviously the one that stands out the most based on a couple solid runs in place of Wickens uh, to close out the season, obviously, is Carlos Munoz, who, hard to believe, uh, didn't even have a ride this year except for the Indy 500.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I tell you what, you mentioned Sebastian Bourdais. I I remember when we were here in Indy, when that happened, you and I were actually hanging out at the track together. So, uh, yeah, you never know with these kind of things. But, man, what a scary wreck it was. Let's talk a little bit about the funny season, then we'll get into some Notre Dame talk. Uh, Ryan hunter Ray, though, he dominated their IndyCar there in Sonoma, uh, but wasn't quite enough for the championship, obviously. Uh, But Ryan hunter Ray, I would say, had at least a passing grade for 2018.
5: Well, certainly he's bounced back. Uh, Obviously, a couple difficult years. Uh, Had been known as an Indy-only specialist, I think, the last few years, uh, since winning the Indy 500. Kind of was not a factor at Indy this year, but uh, through the rest of the schedule. And, obviously, the double points at Sonoma helped. But uh, much more solid season, I'd say, from Hunter Ray. And uh, Rossi finishing second in points. And then you have Marco Andretti, uh, his first top ten points appearance, I believe, in four years. So, a lot of optimism there. and uh, But going back to Bourdais, I'm very curious to see what happens for him because there is rumors about the other business partners with this coin entry, Jimmy Vassar, James Sullivan. Uh, there has been some talk that they have purchased their own Delara. So is this going to be a breakaway team that takes Sebastian Bourdais and the Sealmaster Master sponsorship with them? That's another thing we're talking about. We're also seeing with Dale Coin racing, they're even talking to uh, the other a McLaren driver for the past year, years, Stauffel Van Dorn, possible ride. So you add that along to Pietro Fittipaldi and Zachary Clayman DeMelo, and uh, you got a very interesting situation there at Coin and possibly with this breakaway team involving Jimmy Vassar and James Sullivan. Spencer Pickett
2: returns to Ed Carpenter Racing. Uh, they seem to have a good uh, relationship going on there. What do we know about uh, Ed Carpenter going into the funny season?
5: I think right now Ed Carpenter keeps insisting he's going to split the number 20 entry between himself and another driver, and that most likely will be Jordan Jordan King again. I just don't understand what you're gaining from that. I think you just don't gain any consistency when you're changing drivers in one car through event to event. I don't think it would be too much of an extra burden to provide an extra car for Ed at the oval events. I don't think that's taken away from anything. And, again, Jordan King wants to be a full-time driver. He doesn't want to be a road course specialist. I think he's made that pretty clear. And I don't think uh, it's too much of a burden for ECR the way that these uh, Delars are now more affordable now at the Universal Aero Kits. And also the engine leases are not nearly as taxing as they were in the past. That's why you have the possibility. We've been hearing as many as 26 to 28 full-time cars next year, Tom. I don't see what the extra burden would be to provide just an extra car for Ed for those oval events.
2: Well, I totally agree, and we'll see how that plays out. Will Power obviously drank the milk here at Indianapolis this year, uh, capping a very uh, good career for him. In fact, he he stated, you know, I could retire now. Of course, he's not going to do that. But Will Power obviously wins the uh, 2018 uh, Indianapolis 500. Uh, How would you rate his season, and what does he look like going into the funny season?
5: See the article where he did a double take when he went to uh, William Barron's studio, the man that does the uh, visages for the 500 trophy, the Borg Warner. And he did a double take on seeing that. And obviously, uh, for instance, for those of you interested in that, they will unveil Will Power's space on the Borg Warner on December the 5th, I believe at the hall of fame museum, but uh, another solid year for power. He is clearly now the number one. When I thought uh, Joseph Newgarden was on the verge of taking that spot away from him at team Penske and, uh, I think the guy that needs to bounce back is Pagano. Yes, he finished sixth in the points, but I think he is still coming to grips with this uh, universal arrow kit. I mean, that's part of the reason why I don't think he won a pull and didn't win a race this past year. So I think he uh, certainly is going to be under the gun entering 2019. And then the rumor swirling around is they are expanding to four cars. While Elio Casanevas is not the man expected to take return to full-time service, uh, I'll be very curious to see uh, who the captain is going after if he is expanding to four cars again, if it's not Elio Castroneves.
2: Well, you know, I think the obvious thing that people would want to talk about is, is it Fernando Alonso? Everybody's going to ask, is it Fernando Alonso? We look it over at uh, Andretti Motorsports, Alexander Rossi, one of their top drivers, Marco Andretti d- does fifth in the 2018 standings, but is it? Uh, going to be uh Andretti that picks up Fernando Alonso. So a lot of answers are within that. Uh I, I would be curious to see if uh if um, if if uh, if, uh <laughs> I'm so sorry I got a brain fart, uh, but uh, Elio Casanevas returns to a, uh, a full-time ride. I'd be surprised if that happens. But what are we what are we looking at here some of these uh, major stables of players that we thought would be a player for Fernando Alonso, particularly uh, Pinsky and particularly uh, Andretti Motorsports?
5: Well, the rumor team that we mentioned, and David Lansman mentioned this, I don't know why, is he keeps insisting that Carlin is going to get the services of McLaren's Fernando Alonso with a three car team. The thing is, though, why would Alonso want to go to Carlin? I mean, if you are Fernando Alonso, you want to be here because you want a chance to win races and win a championship. And yes, Carlin had a decent, okay year with a five top 10 performance from Charlie Kimball, but that is not a team that is capable of challenging for a championship in just his second year of existence on the IndyCar level. It's not going to happen. So you look at the team's left, well, if it's not Penske, I'm assuming the thing right now is there's going to be, you know, I think obviously there's some burnt bridges between Alonzo and Honda, but I believe there will be cementing of the fences, and I believe that at worst they will provide a fifth car to Andretti, and that 29 car will be Fernando Alonso's. Right. Well, real quickly,
2: we'll go through the uh, the top ten as it ended in 2018. Scott Dixon, Alexander Rossi, Will Powell, Ryan Hunter-Rey, Joseph Newgarden, Simon Patajon, uh, Sebastian Bourdais, Graham Rahal, Marco Andretti, and James Hinchcliffe. And I'm sorry, I said he came in fifth. He actually came in ninth, Marco Andretti. Of course, uh, Robert Wickens uh, somehow managed to finish eleventh after it all uh, and, and so forth. So as we look at the top ten, what are your thoughts in the 2018 season?
5: What a bounce back for Hinchcliffe after failing to qualify for the Indy 500. Uh, you talked about Wickens at the top half of the season, had a solid run. That's part of the reason why he stayed up there. Uh, man that just missed out on the top ten, uh, Takuma Sato. Uh, interesting that Ray Hall Letterman has decided to keep him for another year. Obviously the win late in the year, certainly helping his cause to keep a ride. And uh, you talk about uh, Ray Hall now. Who are they going to be looking for for their third deal now that both Colton Hurta and Pato Award, who were supposedly their top two targets, are now out of play. Uh, Do they look possibly at a Stoffel-Vondorn? Do they look at maybe a driver that is out of luck in the coin deal? If, say, a a Petra Fittipaldi, a Zachary Clayman-Demelo comes into play, would they take one of them? Uh, A lot of unknowns right now. And the thing is, like I said, though, and we talked about this with Tyson Lonslager with our field of 33 back in May, are they overextending themselves? You obviously got to be thinking even more so that if they're expanding to a three full time uh, car deal for 2019.
2: Well, absolutely. So let's look ahead into uh, the 2019 Indianapolis 500. Yes, it's not too early to be talking about that, not at all. And so uh, Tony Stewart going to be uh, supposedly uh, making a an attempt to qualify there at Indianapolis 500, which I'm sure that he will. Uh, but and then of course we, we look again, we talk again about Fernando Alonso. A lot of people are going to be talking about him as we get ready for the 2019 uh, Indy 500. Uh, but certainly Indy 500 is where you uh, see everybody bring out the extra cars and and drivers do get a shot at driving and we we also see uh one of the great things i mean i I like hinch he's a good guy i really do like him a lot class act uh but one of the great things about what happened with james hinchcliffe at the indianapolis 500 we saw a true bump day and i like that i think that's something special i think that's why we have a field of 33 so everybody comes out But not everybody gets in the race, and it doesn't matter. The Indianapolis Motor Speedway uh, doesn't care if you're James Hinchcliffe. Doesn't care if you're Marco Andretti. Doesn't care if you're Ed Carpenter. Uh, Doesn't care if you're Scott Dixon. you got to be good enough to be on that track, and the Indianapolis 500 is always, always a special place in the month of May.
5: Well, I think right now, looking ahead to 2019, I think they need to increase the parameters of qualifying. I think we could be talking 38 to 40 cars attempting qualify. And As we saw this past year, Tom, we had two delays due to rain. If you are trying to get all 40 cars qualified and get everyone through the line, you're going to need to increase the time parameters from where they are right now, from 11 to, I think, 550. I'd like to see, you know, J. Douglas Bowles, Jay Fry. Mark Miles look into possibly adding maybe an hour and a half to an hour to 15 minutes to qualify and start at 9:30, 9:45. That ensures that we would get through the field just to, even if rain were to intervene slightly. and then we would have time for attempts. And I think that's part of the reason why you saw someone like a James Hinscliff fail to qualify is because of those two rain delays, He only had one chance, and then he had the mechanical failure. Had there been more time, I think he would have had enough time to figure it out and get himself in the field. Now, it obviously didn't work out that way, but considering you have an increased field for the full time, you probably have an increased entry list for the Indy 500. So I think if they're going to continue with the two-day format, they're going to have to increase the time frame and the window, I think, to be able to make it possible so it's fair for everybody because, again, you're going to have – Situations where weather conditions are going to play a role in who gets an advantage in qualifying and who doesn't. So I think you need to increase the parameters to make sure uh, it's as even as possible for everybody, and that everyone gets a chance. And if there are chances for second attempts, that they are given to multiple drivers instead of just a handful that just happen to be at the front of the line when before the time ran out. <laughs>
2: We're talking with Matthew Embry, 96.1 FM WSBT up in South Bend. Obviously, the uh, Notre Dame uh, Fighting Irish affiliate and flagship uh, there. And we'll get into the Wake Forest game here in just a moment, probably here in the next segment. Uh, if you can stick around with us, Matt, uh, we'll talk some college football. I'm not sure if Rick is going to be able to join us until the second hour. Uh, but uh, definitely, we, we, we are going to, to get to that. But I want to talk with you a little bit about Tony Kanan A.J. Foyt Racing. Uh, certainly, A.J. Foyt Racing uh, – Good stop for him. A lot of people think that may have been his final stop. He didn't light the world on fire in 2018. Uh, He had somewhat of a, I won't call it mediocre appearance at at Indianapolis, but he certainly had an appearance at at Indianapolis that was less than desirable, I would say. I think a lot of people were feeding the rumor uh, that Tony Kanaan was going to retire either this year or next year. What are your thoughts on that? Are we seeing the end of the career of a great driver like Tony Kanaan?
5: I think we're seeing, if it's not going to continue in the full-time schedule, I'd see an extended like what we're seeing with Elio, where he's going to continue running the Indy 500 until he loses the desire. I mean, he was leading and in control of this race till he had that flat tire. If not for that flat tire, I think you could have made a very good case that Tony Cannon would have given uh, Ed Carpenter and Will Power a definite run for their money in terms of trying to win a second Indy 500. Now, would he have won it? Who's to say I think he would have definitely been a factor for the victory if not for that flat tire.
2: Well, absolutely. And so let's let's uh, quickly go through some of these other drivers uh, before we have to go to break and come back for our next segment and we'll get into the, the college football. You know, a driver I was really impressed with. He finished 23rd. But I was really impressed over the, over the, over the course of the season. I think he's a good, solid driver. I think he's got a lot uh, to come back to in 2019. Zachary klayman uh certainly one of the drivers to keep your eyes on
5: question is, where is he going to end up? Uh, he certainly has the money with Paysafe to run a full schedule. The question is, though, uh, how are things going to play out of coin Is Vassar Sullivan going to leave and take Bordet with them and create two seats? Uh, where does Fittipaldi end up, and what about Stoffel von Dorn? And then, of course, don't forget about Santito Ferrucci, who ran two races in a third car. So the question is right now is, who are they going to take? And if they don't take uh, Clayman DeMelo... Uh, the question is, does he end up maybe in that third ride with Ray Hall? Does he end up maybe being a full-time replacement for Wickens at Schmidt? I mean, there's plenty of options available. It's just a question of way that things are going to lay out at this point and where he, the opportunity is going to be for Zach uh, to find a ride at this point. I think that's the big question mark right now is where he'll end up because he certainly has the money to fund a full season and certainly the talent from what we saw, uh, particularly at the Indy 500, where he was not even expected to compete in, mind you, And he still had a very solid performance. So you look at that scenario, uh, he's certainly one driver who it's unknown where he'll end up. He'll be solid, but uh, it's unknown at this point where he's going to end up.
2: You know, we saw Connor Daly come in and and, uh, be able to uh, get in the car at the Indianapolis 500, not a very good showing. Uh, Certainly got uh, caught up in the mess uh, that he had nothing to do with, of things that happened before he was ever born that that happened with his father. And, again, it it was a story that got blown out of proportion. No need to go back into it. But Connor Daly uh, has seen his struggles, yet a very talented driver, especially at Indy, especially in the Grand Prix.
5: I think right now, if he's stuck with Tom Burns again, I think if it's an extended field, Connor Dale is going to have a problem making this field. I mean, it's just not limited to Pippa Mann. I mean, Connor had his problems. I don't know if they necessarily saw eye-to-eye on things. And if they do come back, I think there's going to have to be a lot of groupthink uh, put together because uh, things did not go smoothly for them. And then you look at some of the other ones in there, uh, certainly uh, Sage Karam crashed out of his fourth consecutive Indy 500. A lot of people are still demanding that he become a full-time driver If you can't finish in the biggest race in the world, what does that say about the rest of the schedule if you are given a full-time seat? So I think right now if Sage Karam wants to stay relevant as far as racing, he's got to be able to make the finish in these events. He just can't run up in front and then crash. I mean, that's not how it works. And uh, I think you look at Sage, I think you look at Connor. I think 2019 with these increased entries is going to become make and break uh, for some of these guys even for maybe even a J.R. Hildebrand as well, trying to make the field for Indy.
2: Absolutely. What about Colton Hurta? Can we throw him in that conversation?
5: He's solid. I don't think there's a question. I mean, the money that's going to be coming in from Steinbrenner, the money that's coming in from Andretti and the technical support, I think you're going to be very impressed, and there should be a major improvement in that Harding organization but I'm not sure if Colton Hurd is going to be the lead man on that team. I think the lead man is going to be the, rainy, the new Indy Lights champion in Pottawa Ward, who has made a dramatic climb from where he was just a couple of years ago in Pro Mazda all the way to the IndyCar series in a span of two and a half years.
2: Sage Karen, what are your thoughts?
5: Like I said, he's got a, he's got a race cleaner. Uh, you don't gain anything by running up front and then failing to finish. Uh, you've got to be there at the finish, and we talked about that. I talked about it. Tyson Lonslager talked about it during our field of 33. He has got to find a way to finish these races. If you can't finish, you're not going to score points, and if you can't score points, you're not going to be getting championships. You're not going to be able to keep rides. So as far as I'm concerned, yeah, he'll get another chance with Dryer and Reinbold, I'm sure, but the question is, can he keep the car out of the wall? And right now, unfortunately, I hate to say it, but I think the answer is a definite no, he can't.
2: So um, James Davison was the last driver that I kind of really wanted to touch on. What are your thoughts?
5: It's going to be a struggle for him as well. Uh, if he does get another ride uh, with the increased entry list and the deeper field did take advantage of it. Unfortunately had a disappointing performance. Obviously the car handling really hurt him and it led to the contact that knocked him out between himself and Sato, but uh, did well to make the field. But, uh, I don't know if they can be able to be competitive if they're going to get, be competitive and make sure they make the field. They need to put something together a little bit faster than they did this past year because I think the depth of the field for this year's race is going to make it imperative that these last minute you know teams put together with you know masking tape and bubble gum are not going to be competitive this time around.
2: We're second with Matthew Embry of 96.1 FM WSBT up in South Bend. Uh, certainly, the flagship of uh, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And we're going to kind of do a mini breaking rink, uh, Matt, uh, here uh, for about 15, 20 minutes or so before we got to get into the NFL talk with Ed Kratz. We've got a lot to talk about with the NFL. The Cleveland Browns get a huge uh, win against the Jets. The world is coming apart. The Browns are going to the Super Bowl. Okay. Well, you, you would think so. Anyway, and uh, certainly, uh, I think they have their quarterback pretty much uh, uh, in a solid situation. Uh, but, uh, does uh, does Notre Dame have a uh, does Notre Dame have a, uh, uh, a quarterback controversy? We'll find out when we get back right here on the Balance Radio Network.
3: The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom.
0: When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like, Swedish techno confusing.
1: Bark, bark meow, meow. Dance with me purple cow. Oh, you
0: lovely cow. Mm-hmm. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike... You know, dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. like early 90s heavy metal heart.
1: I'm yelling!
0: Makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm
1: not even upset about
6: anything.
7: Okay, Matt, are you with us? Are you with us, yep. Matt? I
2: sure <laughs> I'm am. Are we. We uh, something happened. Some gremlins jumped up in the in the board here, so I don't know what happened. So anyway, uh, welcome back. Uh, here we are. Let's uh, start some uh, college football talk. Uh, Rick Riggan is uh, out playing monsters, whatever that is. He's gonna try to refer to it and try to get him on here in just a a, a few moments uh, before we get into the NFL talk. Uh, but certainly uh, Matthew Embry of ninety six point one WSBT, official enough, uh, NFL official Notre Dame uh, flagship station there in South Bend, obviously uh, the. Uh, uh, the Irish meet the Devils today. Uh, first of all, why does Notre Dame even have a quarterback controversy? Let's start there.
5: Well, I think the blame on that has to go in Coach Kelly's face. The fact that he did not uh, make it clear and say one guy is the starter. Now, the insider rumors are unconfirmed reports that Ian Book is going to get the ball for the first possession for this game. Now, I can't confirm that, but that's what I've heard supposedly. Uh, it's just a messy situation because, let's face it, Brandon Wimbush is not the reason this offense is struggling. Far from it. You look at the offensive line, you lose two players that went in the top ten of the NFL draft and Mike McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson. You have problems with the receiving efficiency of Alizé Mack, Chase Claypool, Miles Boykin, having a lot of problems with dropping the football. And you have, I think, a little bit of uh, inconsistent flow from the running game. Now, Tony Jones Jr. had a decent performance last week against Vanderbilt with 100 yards rushing and just under 100 yards in terms of catching and receiving. But uh, you look at that situation, and there are more problems in this, and it's not solely an issue involving Brandon Wimbush. So the fact that he is talking about playing both Wimbush and Book, now he's done that the first three games where Book's been limited, like in short yardage situations where they've been near the end zone, which I'm fine with, but to put it where it's one possession for Book, one possession for Wimbush, back and forth, that reminds me of the Texas game where they absolutely fell on their face when they did that strategy, and they did it for the next few games and it didn't work out there either. So I really don't know what Coach Kelly's trying to do here, and if he's just putting the blame on Brandon Wimbush here, I'm sorry, but there is way more problems on the offensive side of the ball than Brandon Wimbush.
2: Well, absolutely. And let's let's back up a couple weeks. You know, uh, first of all, Ball State had a ball game with you. Uh, Michigan had a ball game with you. We knew that was going to happen. Vanderbilt had a ball game with you. Um, Notre Dame, is it safe to say, even though they're winning, they are definitely struggling.
5: Defensively, I would say no, because the defense bailed them out, I'd say, in the ball state and the Vanderbilt games. Obviously, a Loey Gilman's forced fumble. If Vanderbilt gets in the end zone that game and doesn't, and the ball doesn't go through the back of the end zone, I think you could have been talking about a whole different story in that game because Shermer really gave them problems. And then uh, offensively, yeah, I mean, you got a couple decent cogs and Tony Jones Jr. and Jafar Armstrong in the backfield. But like I said, the passing game and the offensive line, uh, they have some work to do to solidify that attack and give more options because I don't think it would matter if it was Wimbush or Book. I think they'd be struggling regardless of the situation because all the other workings in that receiving core and the offensive line are just not functioning properly right now for them to be effective and get the ball down the field when they have possession of the ball. I mean, they had too many many three and outs, especially against Vanderbilt, where – Vanderbilt was able to control the possession and for a Wake Forest team that prides itself on trying to run up to 100 plays a game, controlling the time possession battle is imperative but Notre Dame wants to escape Winston-Salem with the win today
2: well we didn't get a chance to have breaking rank uh this week uh but uh notre dame still ranked at number eight and it's a sloppy number eight take on wake forest today let's break it down by the numbers uh notre dame is in north carolina today uh taking on uh, the wake forest devils uh what are some of the keys to the game what are the things to watch uh what does notre dame have to win and how good of a team is wake forest
5: Wake Forest I think is an underachieving team. I think their poor performance last week against Boston College and a loss uh, really is not the team that Wake Forest can be. Uh, you look at this roster and you have uh, Sam Hartman who's definitely a threat with the quarterback position, although despite the fact he has six touchdown passes but also five interceptions. And then you have obviously a wide receiving threat in Greg Dorch uh, who also had a big game last time they played uh, the Irish. So You look at the scenarios right there, there are possibilities for them to do some damage with the passing game. The running game, because of that, may open up for them as well. Uh, It's not necessarily a one-guy situation. It's a running back by committee. But uh, you look at that roster, and they certainly uh, have positions where they can hurt the Irish, especially if they are able to control the time of possession like they are planning on doing with the possibilities of running. Like I said, they pride themselves on trying to run with an up-tempo as many as 90 to 100 plays per game on the offensive side of the ball. And I think we may have lost Tom here. Um, so talking on a few things here, we'll hopefully have Tom back here in just a moment, but taking a look at a few scenarios here. Obviously, you look at Notre Dame, uh, Chip Long, offensive coordinator, would be interesting to see how much he – tightens the purse strings or loosens the purse strings, certainly. That's one thing you look at. Keep in mind, like we said, uh, Harry Heastan, the offensive line coach, the new offensive line coach, maybe a different philosophy and things, maybe not, maybe an adjustment there, perhaps. I mean, you have talented linemen there, Robert Hainsey, Leon Eichenberg, et cetera, Sam Mustapher, but uh, maybe not at the level that you're looking for. And perhaps that's one issue that's kind of, hanging out there that's making things difficult for the Notre Dame offense. Now, as far as the defensive side of the ball, obviously the loss of Mike Elko to Texas a and defensive coordinator hurt them, but I think they've had decent performance based on the first three games from the new defensive coordinator in Clark Lee. And uh, like I said, the secondary uh, could have a field day uh, if Hartman has trouble uh, with accuracy. This is a guy that only completes 55% of his passes, and like I said, six touchdown passes but five interceptions in the first three games. So a guy like a Julian Love who leads the NCAA in pass breakups could have a big night. Uh, Jalen Elliott who had two interceptions against Ball State could come up big. And another guy to keep an eye we talked about a Gilman, the Navy transfer with the big play against Vanderbilt. But if you're looking for one breakout guy, uh, Tom, today as far as the secondary, watch out for the true freshman in Houston Griffith, uh, the son of former NFL fullback Howard Griffith. Uh, with the Denver Broncos, uh, that could be the guy that has the big breakout, uh, especially if Notre Dame uh, plays the nickel defense like they are expected to to a challenge uh, this uh, passing attack from Wake Forest.
7: Well, we're
2: definitely going to be watching this game and see what happens and how it plays out. Uh, that's for sure because uh... – Notre Dame is just – especially if you're a Notre Dame fan, and we know Rick Riggin is one of those, and I'm hoping that we can get connected with him at least for a few minutes here. Uh, But it's very disappointing when you're uh, a Notre Dame fan, and, uh, you know, I would assume you living up there in Notre Dame country, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Fans aren't happy with the Irish right now. They need to do more than just win.
5: The thing is, though, and this is the thing that just irks me, is – the coaching staff, well, certainly Brian Kelly and the ND Nation is putting too much of the blame right now on Wimbush's shoulders, and that's where I have a problem with it. Because like I said, there are many problems with this offense do not include Brandon Wimbush. Now, granted, three interceptions against Ball State wasn't great, but they couldn't get a running game against going against Ball State, so he had to throw it up, and he is a guy – that is more used to having the run-pass option. He hasn't had that option available to him as much as I think Brian Kelly would like him to have it, and maybe that's why they're looking at Ian Book. But either way, I just feel like you're sending the wrong message to Wimbush because he did not have a bad game against Vanderbilt. I think right now uh, I don't know what the thought is for – Coach Kelly at this point, but to put all the blame on one player when there are 10 other players on the field for the offense, I think is taking it very the wrong way. And I think that's what we've looked at. I mean, we've said it on Sports Beat uh, Thursday and Friday when they made the announcement. They didn't announce, uh, they just mentioned, or Kelly mentioned during the Thursday press conference that both players, uh, Book and Wimbush, would play. An open end question. And then we find out this morning, supposedly, that it's going to be Ian Book that's going to be the starter. Again, that's unconfirmed, but that's what we have heard. Uh, so I just don't know what you're sending the message as far as to Brandon Wimbush at this point, Tom.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Joining us now is the the lost, the ghost, the ghost man, <laughs> Rick Riggin. How are you, sir?
7: Hey, pretty good, Tom. Been basically two weeks, buddy.
2: Oh, I understand. So you're out playing monsters. That's Always good. It's getting to be that time of year, isn't it absolutely.
7: Well, I, I know, you know you as, as many as many just real quick as many as many of as, uh, these monsters that I drink. I think we need a monster sponsorship here on the show because they just came out with this new flavor called Pacific Punch. It's not too bad. I had to give it a try. So, Monster Energy, if you're listening, the balance is sitting right here, waiting on your uh, sponsorship
6: dollars. <laughs>
2: Hey, uh, monsters go good with Jaeger bombs.
7: <laughs>
6: That's right. <laughs> so,
2: so uh, Rick, you know, we've been talking here uh, with uh, Matthew Ember, who, uh, who's joined us to talk from IndyCar, and we're kind of having a mini in mic because we because we uh, 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 missed the show on Wednesday, so we're trying to play catch-up a little bit. But, I mean, again, going back to uh, without beating a dead horse but bringing you into the conversation, Rick, you're not happy with with Notre Dame. Notre Dame fans aren't happy with Notre Dame. They're winning, yes, that's true, but they are also struggling. And and, and i kind of seen a a trend since Michigan, then Ball State, then uh, Vanderbilt, if I'm a Notre Dame fan, I'm a little concerned about Wake Forest based on what we've seen over the past three games, Rick.
7: Well, I'll just go back to Wake Forest. Last year, they they played Notre Dame, put them, I think, 35, 38 points up against the Irish last year. If they're going to score like that again, and Notre Dame is going to put up more points than 24 points like they've been doing the past couple of weeks, so uh, I think the offense is stale. I think our offense is like highly predictable under Chip Long. It's obviously able to run the ball, try a power running game out out of the shotgun formation or or your, or your pistol formations, and uh, it, it just it needs a spark. And I know I think they're going to start Ian Ian Book today, maybe a. He'll get, the, uh, get some passing yards going but bring a spark to the offense. I'm not sure if that's the right decision to make. I think it's what the fan base wants is a, a change of pace, a change in the offense, because the offense just looks stale. And at times, it looks like Brandon Wimbush just he doesn't know how to read a defense just yet. So, uh, Matt,
2: uh, go ahead. You're up, and we'll go ahead and get into this top 25 real quick uh, uh, before 9 o'clock. I know, Rick, uh, you got a hard stop as well, Uh, and so we got to get into the NFL talk, so we'll try to cover as much as we can. Uh, But, Matt, do you have any comments on Notre Dame, any more comments on Notre Dame or what Rick just said?
5: Well, I think, like I said, it's not necessarily the issue with Wimbush. I think the receiving core needs to limit the drops and the offensive line needs to be more effective. I think they need to give Wimbush more options, and I think the same thing would be happening if it was Ian Book under center. It's just the quarterback right now, whether it's Wimbush or Book, just do not have the options to them, effective options, to allow this offense to be effective. I don't care if it was Wimbush, Book, or Jakovic. I think either quarterback will be struggling with the way this receiving core has been dropping passes, and also how this offensive line is not gelling like they did when they had Mike McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson.
6: Uh,
5: I, he's well, right. He's
7: to get through. It's not, it's ahead, not, it's not just a quarterback problem. It's not just a quarterback problem. It, it's, it's across the board on the offense. So, I mean, he's right. But they're going to try to bring a spark to the team, uh, maybe a new life. I start but today. We'll see how it goes. They, you know, He's a little better passer. Maybe that's what the uh, receivers need. I, you know, <laughs> I'm not real sure, but you know, Matt's right. It, it it's kind of across the board. It's not just the quarterback position.
2: We're talking with Rick Riggin, executive producer of The Balance, host of Breaking Rank. Uh, And hopefully we'll get that back in in swing uh, coming up this next Wednesday. Uh, Matthew Embry uh, from 96.1 WSVT up in South Bend, the official flagship station for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. We've been talking about Notre Dame and Wake Forest. But let's get into some of these other top 25 games. Uh, Purdue's been kind of struggling. I, I. as much of a non-Purdue fan I am, I'm kind of shocked that they are struggling. I uh, thought that Purdue would have a little bit better season, and, and they take on number 23, Boston College, today. Uh, what are your thoughts, Matt?
5: I think Nick Colton needs to figure out this defense right now because, yes, they did lose players, but they supposedly had the debt to replace them, and I have not seen it. And I don't care how good Elijah Sindelar or David Blau is, they cannot be expected to score 30, 40 points just to get a win against anybody. I mean, struggled against Eastern Michigan, struggled to stop Mizzou, and they had their problems with Northwestern. And the way Boston College plays offense, I think the struggles are going to continue today. And unfortunately, Purdue is going to lose again at home and are going to drop to one 4 And uh, I think at this point, I have a hard time seeing, Rick, where this team is a bold team for 2018.
7: Yeah, if they drop the to 0-4 today, I don't see just where it's possible they haven't hit, hit the Big Ten schedule yet, and they're already going to be 0-4 after today. But this team is really underperforming. I think they're a lot better than 0-3, but Boston College is, uh, they're, they're scoring juggernaut so far this year. And, you know, the, the game last week against Mizzou, I'll just put that on uh, Drew Locke, um, Mizzou's quarterback, you know, he's one of these... Uh, NFL draft picks, you know, high draft picks. Him and Justin Herbert from Oregon are the two guys that uh, we're kind of looking at for the uh, top of the class for quarterbacks this year. So they had to go against that last week. Better going against a, against an offensive juggernaut against uh, Ball State, uh, not Ball State, Boston College this week. So I agree, it's going to be 0-4, and, 4,
5: and if they go 0-4. It won't be a bull appearance this year.
6: Well, we well,
7: mentioned
5: you know, the zoo, other- Tom. Uh- what about Mizzou? They host Georgia. Can they give the Bulldogs a run?
2: Well, yeah, absolutely. I was just going to quickly say that uh, IU, at this point, has a better team than Purdue. Purdue, I mean, IU's got Michigan uh, State tonight, which could give them fits, but I think Michigan State's got a good uh, opportunity to do that. So go, going to that, that's a, the very next game that we got, number two, Georgia, against the Tigers. Very, very, very good Tigers. And I tell you what, and, and to put this down as one of the shockers of the week, I really think – uh, it'll be a close game, but I think at home uh, the Missouri Tigers can beat Georgia and just going to send a ripple tide uh, through the SEC uh, this afternoon, Rick.
7: Yeah, and the FAU is supposed to beat Oklahoma also. So I, <laughs> I I just think that uh, Georgia is one of these elite teams this year. There's just maybe three or four teams that can actually give Alabama a game, and Georgia's going to be one of them. I just don't think Missouri has the, has the weapons to uh, compete with Georgia. Uh, we saw what George did, South Carolina last week uh, or week before, whatever it was. And then uh, I just don't think Missouri is going to even hang, hang tough in this game at all. I think it's way over by halftime.
2: Rick, Rick, let's look at uh, the uh, most overpaid, most overrated coach, uh, Jim Harbaugh in the number 19 Michigan. Obviously a big kid t- uh, game with them and Nebraska. Nebraska is going to have a good team this year. Got a good new coach. I tell you what, I look for good things from the Cornhuskers. This may not be the year that they they beat Michigan, uh, but I think all eyes are going to be on this game, and I think if Nebraska does find a way to beat Michigan, I think this is just uh, not going to be a good look for Jim Harbaugh, Rick.
7: Well, as long as Notre Dame keeps winning every game by five or eight points, then uh, (laughs) I I want Michigan to win every game by about 50 points. I'm kind of just pulling for Michigan to win big here, and I think they actually will. I think Nebraska is going to be a good team under Scott Bross. It's just not going to be this year. It takes time, two, or three years. Then we'll be talking about Nebraska being one of those uh, top teams in the, in the Big Ten. But I just think Michigan is going to get a, a big blowout win again uh, this week, like they have the past two weeks. But as long as the Irish win by a touchdown or less the rest of the way out, I'm totally good
5: with Michigan winning by about, winning by about 30 or 40 points.
2: Matt, well, the thing is with
5: this Michigan game right now is – You can't excuse Nebraska's performance against Troy at home. That was a game that should have. Now, granted, Troy is one of the better teams in the Sun Belt. That is a game. I don't care who the coach is. That is a game you have to win. And the fact Nebraska failed to do it there, as bad as Michigan has been, the Big House. I think Michigan easily wins this game by at least three scores.
7: Guys,
2: the game I really want to talk.
5: Go ahead. No, go
2: right ahead, Rick. I'm sorry. There's a We've had a delay oh, yeah, in my microphone. I, I, all.
7: Gotcha. I, I get it. <laughs> uh, the, uh, with, with Matt, Matt's totally right, but I think uh, Nebraska's kind of getting a pass on that Troy game because Troy beat LSU at LSU last year, so that's kind of the uh, what the experts are giving Scott Frost a pass on, on that game.
2: Yeah, absolutely, guys. I do apologize about the delay in my mic. I, I know it's on my end. I had some issues earlier. I don't really know what – what the problem is, but I can't fix it on the fly. Uh, but there's about a millisecond or a second delay and long enough to make it, you know, us radio people, we know what to jump in. And that, that kind of is what is what's going on there. So I do uh, apologize about that. But the game, I do really want to talk about, of course, because it's Alabama and of course, because of Texas A&M, uh, Texas A&M is number 22, obviously Alabama number one. Uh, this is a game. A lot of people are going to be watching. Certainly uh, people think Alabama is going to win and will win at the same time. Uh, the Aggies, uh, uh, ish are 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 good-ish, but they're not good enough to beat Alabama. But uh, can they give uh, Alabama some fits today, Rick?
7: I really hope so. I'm already tired of seeing Bama to a Tonga Valoa win by 40 points a game or so. Uh, <laughs> you know, like we said a couple weeks ago on Break Your Rank, he's the contra code for Alabama, and yeah, it's it's really not fair. Uh, I, I want somebody to step up and give them a game. And if Texas A&M can play. Uh, Alabama, the kind of the way they played uh, Clemson. Uh, then maybe they slow them down some, but I just don't see Bama having too many problems here, especially Saban going against one of his assistants, the former assistants. I don't see Bama having too much of a hard time against A&M. It's nice to see like everybody hyped this game up, like something good to watch. But I think another three scores or so is what Bama will, uh, will win this game by.
2: Matt, what are your thoughts, Texas A&M and Bama?
5: I would have loved Texas A&M chances if this was in College Station, but in Tuscaloosa, Alabama is just way too good right now. And I think about the only team in Tuscaloosa that's going to give them a run is possibly Auburn at this point. I just don't think Texas A&M. Granted, they were playing with house money against Clemson. I think the pressure's going to be on them, and they're going to buckle against the Crimson Tide. Alabama wins this game handily.
2: I think a a team that all three of us like over on Breaking Rank, and we've talked about them before, and I think that they're a team uh, that can be a very solid top ten, even though they're number 12, and that's West Virginia. They take on Kansas State uh, Wildcats uh, today. Uh, Matt, what are your thoughts? Uh, West Virginia, you know, they're the real deal. They really are, and they're going to be in a bowl game, that's for sure.
5: Still need to see some things right now. The thing that helps them, though, Kansas State had a horrendous game last week and a loss, uh, Mountaineer Field. But, uh, yeah, I think right now that's still a tenuous spot for West Virginia considering what's left in the Big 12 slate. But for now I see they get by Kansas State without much of a problem. But the rest of the schedule I don't think favors them uh, getting uh, into the situation where they have a chance to get into the playoff.
2: Rick, what are your thoughts, West Virginia, Kansas State?
7: Uh, I agree, and, and I'll just add I want to see with them what I want to see with every Big 12 team. is like. It seems like none of them can play any, any type of defense whatsoever year after year. They can all score 40, 50 points a game, but they'll also give up 40, 50 points a game. So outside of TCU, I want to see somebody else step up in the Big 12 to play defense because I want to take Oklahoma and West Virginia seriously this year, but I need to see some defense to back that up at the same time.
2: Rick, we got another elite team in the SEC uh, this afternoon, number three Clemson taking on Georgia uh, Tech. Uh, We don't really talk a lot about Georgia Tech in football, we do a lot in basketball, Uh, but I would say that this game with Clemson is uh, nothing more than a mere formality uh, to get a win for Clemson, Rick.
7: Yeah, probably just a warm-up and Clemson can, can see uh, what it's like going against a triple-option team and just uh, practice guys against that. But I don't think it's too much of a game. Georgia Tech's going to try to control the clock, so maybe this game might be a little more low-scoring low than what you would normally see in a Clemson game. But I
5: don't think Clemson has any problems here. Uh, I think Georgia Matt, Tech can give them a run for three quarters, but I think eventually Clemson's going to get the upper hand in this game. But it will be closed for a majority of the way.
2: Well, guys, let's kind of zip uh, through some of these games real quickly here as we've got about five minutes left. Uh, Urban Myers back on the sidelines against Tulane. Uh, I don't know that, that, that there's anything to talk about other than that Urban Myers back on the sidelines, Rick.
7: No, nope, nothing's going to change to Ohio State in the, past, in the first three games. You're going to see the same thing in this game too. Matt?
5: Easy win here, Ohio State. Tulane is probably by far the weakest team in the American Athletic Conference right now. This will be a no contest. I'd be amazed if Ohio State does not get to 50 points in this game.
2: Uh, we got TCU and Texas. That uh, might be kind of a close game, but I still think uh, the Longhorns are struggling in football, which is not a good thing for Longhorn fans at all. Uh, Rick, TCU easily handles the Longhorns today.
7: I wouldn't say easily handles the Longhorns. I think TCU gets to win, but I wouldn't say easily handles the Longhorns. Uh, Texas looked great against USC. All the USC's down this year. TCU actually put up a good fight against Ohio State. I think TCU gets to win, but I think it's going to be a good game.
2: Go ahead, Matt.
5: I think Texas can pull this one out, but I think TCU is going to need to give them a little help to get there. If they are, play a little cleaner as opposed to the Ohio State game where they gave out 20 points in under five minutes, if they avoid doing that, TCU should win. But if they have another law like they did against Ohio State, Texas could steal it from.
2: An interesting game uh, on this afternoon that I'm going to be paying attention to. I think it's a game that a lot of people are going to think is, is going to be an unexpected win and an unexpected loss, I should say, an unexpected loss to LSU. Uh, a Louisiana Tech – has what it takes to beat the Tigers. It will not get them ranked in in the top twenty-five, but it will wake up the Tigers. Uh, I think Louisiana Tech, Matt, can definitely beat uh, the the Tigers of LSU today.
5: You talk about the letdown game after the two big performances by the by LSU, but I think the Bengal Tigers finally, excuse me, get their act together in the second half and find a way to blow away. Louisiana Tech. Now, Mississippi State, though, I think that could be a different story against a red-hot Kentucky team. But i got to say, Rick, I'm amazed they are still not in the top 25 of the polls. Yeah, it's crazy. I think uh, the three of us actually talked
7: about Kentucky before the season started, probably winning eight or nine games this year, and I can't believe they're not getting any love just yet, but I think they're still going to do it. I'm thinking the eight or nine wins in, in the SEC, uh, that's great for a program, and Stoops doing a great job at Kentucky, and they win eight or nine games and get to the bowl game and win. That's just going to build that program even more.
2: So, guys, real quickly here, last game, and we got to put a bowl on it. Uh, this next game we'll talk about, everybody's going to be watching nationally, and it's got a lot of implications for Notre Dame, and that's Stanford at, at Oregon. Uh, Stanford will beat the Ducks, but this is going to be a good matchup. And keep in mind, uh, Stanford comes a-knocking with the Irish next week.
7: Yeah, I, I agree with that, and uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. I'm sorry, I didn't know if he was going to me or Matt on that one, but uh, I, I agree, I think Stanford gets the win tonight. I think Notre Dame actually does pull off the win at, at Wake Forest. we are going to see a, a, a matchup of a two top ten teams and possibly college game day again at South Bend next week, you know, with a matchup of two top ten teams. So uh, it would be a great game next week. I think Stanford gets the win at Oregon, and, Like I said, Notre Dame has got to do their job against Lake Forest, and we'll have that top-ten matchup next week.
5: And then you look at those late games right now. Stanford gets the win over Oregon, but I'd say I'm curious to see how Wisconsin bounces back from a horrendous performance and a loss to BYU against Iowa, another dangerous team in that pink locker room. And don't count out Herm Edwards. I think Arizona State could give Chris Peterson and the Huskies a scare in Seattle tonight as well.
7: I like Arizona State. I like Arizona State. I can't believe Tom hasn't brought up Kansas football this year yet.
5: To
6: have will
7: full-out wins. Kansas is the talk of the country right now. <laughs>
5: hey,
6: <laughs> I can't believe you know, didn't bring up
5: Kansas. I, we're just
2: uh, we're just Things waiting for the right moment. Today, to up, yeah. Things will start changing today, though.
5: Things will start changing today when good. they play a real team. I don't know who it is, but they will not win today. <laughs> yeah,
6: I,
7: I, I'm thinking maybe they might be stopped right there. Or I, I don't know. They hit that big total schedule. They're, they're not going to make a bowl game this year, so we can go ahead and not talk about that for the rest of the season. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we got to wrap it up for college football. You're more than welcome to he- stick around for NFL Talk. We're going to be talking with Ed Kratz about the big Browns win the real Browns quickly, win. Uh, real- Rick and, and the <laughs> – are you, are you with me, guys?
7: Yeah, I'm still with you. <laughs>
2: you're still here. All right. it Looks like we lost Matt. Uh, real quickly, what are your thoughts okay. on the Browns' win? We got to go to a break.
7: Uh, it's great, you know, uh, city of Cleveland. I think it's funny that Hugh Jackson said that. Uh, uh he's got to wash the tape, and he won't make a decision who the starting quarterback is going to be. I thought it was the best line of the weekend. Uh, you know, the game's even started. You know, the, the NFL games are tomorrow, but I already think that's the best line of all all the NFL. i got to watch the tape and see what my starting quarterback is going to be. Baker Mayfield gave the city of Cleveland free beer. Of course it's going to be Baker Mayfield. It's going to be the starter. They can roll out Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady at quarterback in Cleveland, and uh, the crowd will boo them because they want Baker Mayfield. Baker's going to be the starter. And I, I think good yeah, things are coming for Cleveland. You know, Baker Mayfield looked like a superhero, so we'll see how it plays out, but – I know it's just the Jets. It's just one game. But that was the best line of the weekend uh, so far. I have to wash the tape. and I'll, I'll decide on Monday who my starting quarterback is going to be.
2: Can I just say for the record, who said a long time ago that uh, Baker Mayfield was going to be the starting quarterback? Just,
7: just saying. What, are you saying – you and 100% of the rest of the country said Baker Mayfield is going to be the starting quarterback?
2: Hey, I'm taking credit for what I said. I, I, can't, I can't take credit for what everybody else said.
7: <laughs> There's no way he'll take Baker Mayfield number one and then not play him. So you didn't really go out on a win and put your neck out there to, to say that he was going to be the starting quarterback for Cleveland because everybody knew he was going to be the starting quarterback with Browns. Well
2: here's the here's the thing. Here's the thing. And and, and uh, the coach uh, what's the coach of Cleveland? Cleveland's name again?
7: It's Hugh Jackson.
2: Yeah Hugh Jackson needs to be fired.
7: Fired You know what you know why that is? Because <laughs> I don't goes, know man. Goes, they need, they need goes, a every team needs continuity. You don't fire your head coach after only thirty two losses. I mean you keep you <laughs> stick him in there. It's continuity. Keep <laughs>
6: Hey
2: here's why he needs to be fired. At the end of the game on Thursday night, well, I gotta watch the tape. Were you not on the sidelines? Did you not see uh, Baker Mayfield light the field up in the, the, the second half? Uh, for you to say, "Oh, well, I gotta look at the tape to see who my starting quarterback's gonna be next week," are you kidding me?
7: Tell you what, he plays Tyrod next week. He will be fired. So,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
7: all right, Rick, you, gotta, yeah, so you gonna you gonna tape. go? <laughs>
2: Are you going to go, or are you going to – Yeah, gonna... you know, here's the
7: <laughs> thing. I've been working so much the past two weeks, I have not cut my grass in like two weeks, seriously. And it's going to rain, and it's only like 60-something degrees here right now. It's perfect to get my grass cut. Uh, it's a lame excuse to get off the radio show, but it's the God's honest truth at the same time. So I'm seeing an opportunity and the Irish play in two hours, so I'm going to try to get get that done for the Irish come on and get it done for the rain moves in at the same time.
2: You know what I did with my lawn? What's that? I pay somebody to do it.
7: <laughs> yeah, you pay somebody oh, to I do it. I right don't yes. want to pay anybody to cut my grass. I have like I have close to three acres here. I'm not paying somebody to come cut this thing. It's gonna hey, take me the acre. next hour and a half. So <laughs> I have an
2: acre I have an acre and a half, so it's all good. All right, Rick,
7: yeah. uh, thanks oh, yeah. for jumping
2: on. We've got to take a break. We'll be right back with
7: Ed Kratz,
2: uh beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, uh for the sports <laughs> exchange. Go ahead, Rick.
7: Yeah, I was gonna say uh, Ed's on and listening. Uh, hey Good to not talk to you again for another week. I'll be on with you guys at some point though, just high and by. So, <laughs> all
2: right, buddy, we'll, we'll talk with you soon. Rick Riggin, uh, executive producer of the Balance and host of Breaking Rink, uh, jumped on for a few minutes to talk some college football with me and Matt Embry. My name is Tom Mark Witzel, Presidente. We'll be right back with the NFL talk. That's right, the Browns win. Oh yeah. <laughs>
3: The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom.
4: It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure.
0: When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like, Swedish techno confusing.
1: Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Ooh.
0: Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood.
8: All right, and
2: welcome back to The palace. My name's Tom Mark with El Presidente. One hour in the books. Uh, thanks to Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar uh, contributor. Uh, and uh, also uh, he is with uh, 96.1 FM WSTB South Bend, uh, the flagship station of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Thank you, uh, Matthew, for jumping on and talking IndyCar with us and sticking around and talking some college football with me and Rick Riggin. Uh, did a little mini breaking rink, and Rick's got a lot going on. Apparently he has to lawn. I don't know, all kinds of adulting stuff. I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. Uh, be, uh, be on the radio or don't be on the radio, you know. But, anyway, no, I'm just giving him a hard time. Certainly we'll have Breaking Rake on Wednesday night. But joining us now is the man in the Broderley City, and it's going to be some love this weekend in Philadelphia, Ed Kratz uh, from uh, beat Rider for the Philadelphia Eagles, our official NFL contributor, and he's obviously with the Sports Exchange. Check him out at www.footballmaven.io/slash/eagles. To you, sir.
9: Yeah, you nailed it, Tom. You got the you got the fight right. Thank you.
2: That's a Good mouthful. <laughs> hey, I tell you, obviously a big game in Philadelphia for both you and I personally. And uh, uh, but uh, you know we'll get to that game in a second. But we've got to talk about Thursday night, the Jets and Browns. It finally happened. The ecop- Ecopolis is here. The, 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 the world, the, the sea has parted. The Exodus has begun. Moses has pa- uh, uh, raised his staff. Uh, you know, I've got to stop doing the biblical references every single week. But <laughs> hey, there's, there's good reason to do so. And by the way, uh, the quarterback for the Cleveland Browns, hmm, I think everybody in the world knows who that is except for Hugh Jackson. What are your thoughts on the on the Cleveland Browns and Sam Bradford and just a win for the Browns? Okay, that just is even hard to say, isn't
9: it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think you even said Sam Bradford there. I think you meant Baker Mayfield.
2: I said um, Sam Bradford because I got him right uh, looking at something else. But yeah, <laughs> I'm, try, I'm trying to stay two steps ahead of everything. We will talk about Sam yeah, Bradford we don't at some point. But. But go ahead.
9: Uh, do we have to? Do we have to talk about Sam Bradford? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will uh, uh, here
2: in a few minutes. But Baker Mayfield, you're right. Uh, the Baker gotcha. does it. There yeah. you go. <laughs> right.
9: Well, you know, it looked like, you know, the Eagles coming off that Super Bowl and how the city just kind of uh, you know, shed tears and had this big parade. I mean, that's probably what it felt like to be a Cleveland Browns fan in, in Cleveland on Thursday night is they just took to the streets and, and celebrated it like they won the Super Bowl. And, you know, I can certainly relate to that elation that, that they felt after seeing the Eagles win the Super Bowl. I know, you know, when you compare winning the Super Bowl versus winning your first game since 2016 is, you know, it's not much of a comparison. But I can I can understand where those fans are coming from and they suffered a lot. They put up with a lot of losing, uh, you know, and they've turned the corner with that win. I, you know, I think the Browns will win more games this year. They really have some good young players. And well, I'll tell you, Baker Mayfield, I was a little surprised when the Browns took him first overall. Um, and, you know, it's a small sample size, but when you look how he played versus how Sam Darnold played, uh, Mayfield looks like the right pick. But, again, small sample size, Darnold's on the road, tough environments. Uh, but Baker Mayfield, he just showed no fear, no hesitation and pulling that trigger and just throwing that ball all over the place. And, you know, I, I loved what I saw from Baker Mayfield. I got to be honest. I thought it was a terrific debut for having taken limited snaps in practice. You know, your first team quarterback, gets all those snaps and, you know, your second team guy gets very little yet. He came in and showed no fear whatsoever and a good grasp of, of what uh, the play calls were. So, I don't know what Hugh Jackson's hesitation is in naming him the quarterback. I can understand that, yeah, they have 10 days off between games. And, you know, why rush it? The players were given off this weekend. Uh, Come back Monday, and we'll probably know on Monday that Baker Mayfield's the starter. At least we should. I don't know what the big secret would be keeping it beyond that. But, but, you know, I wouldn't expect them to go back to Tyrod uh, Taylor at this point.
2: Well, like I told Rick earlier, after that press conference uh, that Hugh Jackson uh, gave after the game on Thursday, if I was the ownership of the Browns, I'd say, uh, don't bother showing up again. You are now officially fired. If you do not know who the quarterback is going to be, uh, what do you mean you got to look at the tape? You were on the sidelines. Did you not see uh, Baker Mayfield light it up? Did you not see that Baker Mayfield earned his job? What do you mean you got to look at the tape? And uh, looking at your record? Uh, you you aren't the best decision maker. I don't think you're the best coach for us. You just made it official. If I was the the, the Browns ownership, that's what I would do. What the heck was he thinking when he said, "Well, I got to look at the tape and decide"? What, what tape you got to look at? I mean, what's there to decide here? Yeah. Baker Mayfield's your quarterback.
9: Yeah, you're right. I mean, I would have just said, "Listen, guys, you know, now's not the time to talk about it." Uh, you know, no comment on that situation until further notice, something like that. I mean, look at the tape. It does sound kind of a uh, foolish thing to say, but, uh, you know, that's the words he chose. But, you know, I, I, you wonder who's calling the shots there, too. Is it John Dorsey that has a hand in who plays and who doesn't play, the general manager? Uh, because, you know, when he talks about looking at the tape, he said, you know, I'm going to talk to the coaching staff and I'll talk to John Dorsey. Uh, About it too. I mean, why would he need to talk to the general manager about a decision that's made affecting the football team? This isn't, you know, a personnel decision where they're bringing somebody in. Uh, You know, you would never hear here in Philadelphia Doug Peterson say, I got to talk to Howie Roseman if I'm going to start Carson Wentz this week. I mean, you know, he's deferring to Dorsey. So you wonder if it's Dorsey's decision, how much of a role he plays uh, in decisions made on game day and who plays and who doesn't, which is, that's the wrong way to do things. But, Unfortunate word choice to say I have to look at the tape. You should have just said, Look, no comment. Now's not the time to talk about it. Baker did a great job. Uh, you know, I'll get back to you when I have my answer. You know. Well, no comment. Baker, and then what? do a bill and then do a Bill Belichick if someone keeps asking you about it, just say next question, next question.
2: Next question, next question. Yeah, uh, so uh, uh, Landry ended up get, getting me like 17 points, so, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Well, let's move on down Great. the road, the city of brother, brotherly love for you, uh, uh, Ed Kratz. Uh, we had hoped to make that trip. It didn't happen. But the Colts at, are at uh, uh, Philadelphia. Uh, a nice little uh, side note that you sent uh, the Colts. Uh, uh, Frank Wright, coach of the Indianapolis Colts, uh, uh, ex-offensive uh, coordinator for the Eagles. Uh, spent a lot of time there with the Eagles. Uh, sent the media and stuff some uh, pastries, it looked like. So that was a class act. Uh, but you guys welcome the Colts uh, to brotherly love. I tell you what, uh, uh, to our advantage, if you will, if I could be a homer for a second, this is a game that's very, very winnable by the Indianapolis Colts, especially after what we saw against the Redskins last week. And, and they're playing a banged-up Philadelphia Eagle team.
9: Yeah. Well, you know, to get back to Frank right there, which is such a total class, classy guy. And I, I said that after the, the Colts hired him back after the Super Bowl, is, you know, this guy is a classy guy. He's easy to root for. Um, you know, he sent a bunch of Italian pastries to the media uh, center on, on Friday, you know, a bunch of cannoli and some Italian cookies and a nice note that thanked the media for covering him fairly and uh, doing a nice job with his family Uh, While he was here as the coordinator for two years, I mean, you know, I I just think the world of Frank Reich, everybody in the building thinks the world of Frank Reich, but, uh, you know, you have to separate that now and and play against him on Sunday, and, you know, he is very familiar with the Eagles scheme, obviously, he spent two years here, he knows uh, some of these formations that uh, the Eagles are going to run at him. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's an advantage. You know, he kind of downplayed that when we talked to him during the week on a conference call, but, uh, you know, Doug Peterson's not downplaying that. He knows uh, that Frank Reich knows what they're going to be trying to do, and uh, that's going to play into their hands. You're right. It's a winnable game for the Colts. The Eagles are banged up. They're going to be without two of their running backs, Jay Ajayi and Darren Sproles. Corey Clement turned up on the injury report Friday as questionable with a quad injury, he's expected to play, but when you have a quad, you just don't know, you know, how that thing's going to respond, how effective you're going to be, uh, and how long you're going to be able to play. So, if those three guys are out, two of them already are, you're reduced to Wendell Smallwood, who was a kind of an afterthought, if, you know, during the Super Bowl run last year, and Josh Adams, a kid from Notre Dame who they just signed off their practice squad who hasn't taken a snap in a regular season game. So, When you have a quarterback like Carson Wentz who's coming back, making his season debut off of that knee injury, you want to rely on your ground game, of course. But I don't think the Eagles are going to be able to do that if they just have Smallwood and and, uh, Adams available to them. Uh, You're going to want to rely on your tight ends, too. Uh, The Eagles are a little banged up there at the tight end spot, but they still have Zach Ertz. And, you know, the weapons that Wentz has at receiver – after Nelson Aguilar you have Jordan Matthews who they re-signed kind of off the scrap heap who was here uh you know to start his career for three years before he got traded he's back now but you also have Shelton Gibson uh who hasn't done anything in the NFL and you have Kamar Aiken who's kind of a retread veteran off the street so you know you look at the weapons that the Eagles are throwing out there for Wentz and making his season debut and You know, it doesn't really inspire a lot of confidence. It's a big concern when you factor that in, plus breaks familiarity with the team. So, yeah, the Colts can win this game. Uh, The Eagles will have an emotional lift getting Wentz back, but, you know, can that carry for all 60 minutes? It usually doesn't. It might give them a lift early, but then it just becomes a football game, and, uh, you know, the Colts can, can certainly win this game here in Philadelphia.
2: Well, the Colts are an improved Colts, obviously. We have a lot of work to do ourselves, and we've got some injuries that, as well that are going to be plag- plaguing uh, the Indianapolis Colts as they take on the Philadelphia Eagles. How big, though, is uh, uh, Ajayi? Uh, Ajay, I can't even see his name. Ajayi? A-J-J? Ajay? Ajay? Ajay. Ajay. Man, Ajayi, how Ajay. big? That's going to sting. That's going to leave a mark, him not being able to play against the Colts.
5: Huge.
9: I mean, you know, he's your hammer. I mean, he's he has three rushing touchdowns uh, in the first two games this season. He's the he's the guy they go to, uh, you know, down in the red zone. And he, you know, he's a guy that uh, likes to soften up a defense. Not having him is a big, um, yeah, it's a big thing for the Eagles not to have him. But you know, like you said, the Colts have injuries. They're going to be without their uh, running back Marlon Mack. I, I don't think I'd put him in the same category as a Ajayi, but he's still there you know, one of their primary backs, and they're going to be without one of their corners, Quincy Wilson, and then you're missing your tackle, Frank Costanzo. So, um, you know, the culture are a little banged up too. And, you know, we talked about this last week, how injuries really play a factor as the season wears on. And here we are in week three, and, you know, there's some key guys already missing uh, on rosters across the league. And, uh, you know, that's one thing the Eagles did so well last year was they had a lot of depth. They had a lot of injuries, but they had some good depth to make up for those uh, for those injuries So, uh, you know, we'll see how good the depth is On both these teams The thing about the Colts you mentioned I, I love their youth I, You know, they have good young defense uh, Yeah, it's inexperienced. We'll see how they handle the moment uh, Here in Philadelphia Handled it fine in Washington That's for sure They held the Redskins without a touchdown uh, But I like their defense They play fast They play physical Which are two trademarks of Frank Reich You know, they their, their tackles And their D-line really likes to penetrate I like how they went from a 3-4 to a 4-3 defense uh and uh you know they're getting some good play out of margus hunt the the uh, six foot eight d end and that rookie linebacker from south carolina state darius leonard has just been all over the field so you know they have a young defense that is only going to get better and, and is already pretty good
2: we're talking with Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles Sports Exchange, uh, and obviously our official NFL contributor here at The Balance. We're going to go and around the league and break it and down some of these games here in just a minute. Moses is going to be joining us in the next half hour uh, to talk about the, uh, some more NFL talk as well and, and some of the the spreads and the, those that like uh, to bet. But here's the thing, a uh, question for you, uh, Ed Kratz, who uh, hangs out at the Complex Doug Peterson, uh, do you think he's uh, in closed doors with uh, uh, Nelson Algar, uh, over t- turning tables, throwing chairs, throwing phones, uh, throat grabbing? Uh, he, you got to think that is a little fed up uh, with his wide receiver, Nelson Algar, and now he, it appears he's been fined $26,000. Uh, is this guy safe enough to be on the field? Should he be on the field? What should Doug Peterson be saying uh, to uh, this wide receiver who just doesn't seem to get it? Well,
9: I, I, uh, I, unless he's done something in the last 12 hours, I'm unaware of. I'm not really sure what you mean that he doesn't get it. I mean, he's their top pass catcher. He's got 16 receptions and uh, over a hundred yards. He has a touchdown catch. And,
1: uh, you know, I don't Here's think he's doing anything wrong
9: Yeah, He was fi- I know he was fine for that hit on Tampa, but if you watch that clip, you know, I know I get sent from the NFL communications office uh, video, uh, officiating video each week, uh, and they break down calls that were made in games over the weekend. And I'll be anxious to see if they discuss that one, because to me it didn't really look like he egregiously hit the guy. The guy wasn't looking, but it's not like he tried to deliver a, a blow to him. He just kind of hit him uh, in an in a attempt to block. And, you know, I don't know why he was fined $26,000, uh, to be honest with you, I think that's a little high for, uh, you know, for a hit that I don't think, I mean, he really could have really inflicted some punishment on that defender had he really wanted to. But, uh, you know, he was just making what he thought was a play that, you know, was going to open up a hole. Um, you know, the guy wasn't really looking. But that's a bang, bang play. I don't I don't get the fine at all, um, to be honest. And, you know, Aguilar has done everything that he's been asked to do uh on this team he hasn't been a distraction and frankly he's the best receiver that they have right now until alshon jeffrey is able to get back
2: well i think i think a part of the reason why he got fined and i think why a lot of people are on up war about it i know it's his his first infraction this season uh but he went out of his way to do a full run on upper body clip Uh, he was nowhere in in the there was no need for him to be involved with that tackle. And I, it, it looked like, and again, now I'm, I'm outside looking in, you're inside looking in, so I don't really know. So I, I can't speak to the, to the reason of, of the fine, but it looked like this was a very deliberate and intentional hit uh, that wasn't needed. It wasn't a, a football play, if that makes sense.
9: Yeah. I, you know, I saw the hit a couple times. I, I just think he was, trying to follow out an assignment and make a block to spring open a hole uh doug hasn't talked about it the fine came out after doug was available to us on friday I, i'm not sure doug will really address it um you know i don't think he's turning over tables or grabbing anybody by the throat that's certainly not the way he operates he treats these guys like men he's not a a chip kelly uh type i mean he, he, <laughs> he treats these guys like men and uh, you know, I wouldn't expect him to do anything like that. But I, I don't know. I guess it depends on your viewpoint. Like I said, I, I'll be anxious to see if I get a clip of that from the NFL, you know, from the NFL office and uh, how they explain that uh, because, I, you know, I don't know. Like I said, I think he could have really delivered a, a worse hit than that uh, if he wanted to. Um, and I just think he's looking to make a play. He's not going out of his way. Nelson Aguilar, you know, he, he's been in this league for uh, four years now and Uh, You know, he's never done anything dirty that I can recall. He's never been called for a personal foul or anything. There's no history there uh, with this guy. The guy only weighs about, you know, 185 pounds. (laughs) You know, I I would just be surprised if he did anything intentional there. I just think it was a bang-bang play, him trying to follow out an assignment, make a block downfield and get somebody open uh, with a hole to kind of get some more yards on the field.
2: And I, I think part of the reason why people are, are thinking that Doug Peterson would be a little miffed, if you will, one, he's fined. Now everybody's talking about the Eagles and the message that the NFL is trying to send to players uh, that, hey, we're, 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 we're the real deal here. We're going to start finding you for, for activities that we deem. Uh, so I guess where a lot of people were saying Doug Peterson might be up. They're not focused on the Colts and the Eagles game. They're focused on this hit and this fine, and it's a big distraction. So uh, we'll see how that plays uh, plays out, and we'll keep our eye on that, and certainly a lot of football to talk about. And, you know, I could see both ways, and especially listen to your uh, take on it. That's why I wanted to get it, because I knew you could give me the only take that it's probably closest <laughs> to right. Uh, Brendan Graham, talk to us a little bit about him. Think he's going to have a good day against the Colts? Yeah, you know,
9: he kind of stepped out of character and talked a little trash, uh, you know, saying it looks like it could be a good day against uh, that blocker. He's lined up against uh, Haig, I think is how you pronounce that, for the Colts. Um, you know, Brandon Graham missed all preseason. He had ankle surgery on May 1st and uh, didn't really do anything. They they activated him from the, uh, the pup list about a week before training camp ended. Uh, So he's still playing his way back into form, still looking for his first sack. He led the team in sacks last year with nine and a half of them. Um, You know, he's made some plays, but, you know, he's still, you know, rounding into game playing shape after missing, you know, all of camp and and coming back from that ankle injury. I talked to him in the locker room and uh, he said he's not quite 100%, but he's getting closer and, um, you know, he's feeling better. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see if he can back up his words and and make it a good day against uh, a blocker who he thinks he can beat
2: so uh talking about guys that kind of started talking and talking to the press and you know how that gets and you know how press and uh, uh and i know your press uh we all are, do what we do so we got to write our stories we got to get clickable stuff but at the same time uh fletcher cox feels like he's being disrespected uh, uh called lack of national recognition for his level of play disrespectful and um He's using it as fuel to, again, claim uh, more media talk about the Philadelphia Eagles.
9: Yeah, you know, I'm not sure he's right. I think he gets plenty of national recognition. I think when you mention, you know, the top defensive tackles in the league, you mentioned Aaron, Aaron Donald with the Rams and Gerald McCoy with the Buccaneers. And then I think, you know, Fletcher Cox is probably third in that group, and that's about right. I don't you know, I'm not sure if he needs that motivation, I guess, and that's all well and good to say, hey, I'm, I'm being disrespected. But I'm I'm not really not sure he is. I think he gets uh, national publicity uh, when they talk about the best defensive tackles in the league. I think he could throw even Geno Atkins in there from the Cincinnati Bengals as, uh, you know, being one of the top five guys. But Cox is certainly one of the top three defensive tackles in the league. And, you know, I think that's pretty much known across the league. Um You know, the thing about Fletcher Cox is he's gotten a lot of snaps in these first two games. And uh, last year, his snaps were – he only played about 55 to 60% of the defensive snaps. Uh, And he was still very productive, still had almost six sacks and uh, a bunch of tackles for loss. But, uh, you know, the Eagles like to rotate their defensive front, and that's what Jim Schwartz does. And so Cox didn't see as many snaps as an Aaron Donald or uh, Gerald McCoy did last year um but this year he is seeing more but i think that's more product of the eagles being a little light at defensive tackle uh after haloti nada they kind of have a, a an undrafted free agent from a couple years ago destiny bay how um did they run in there and they, I, you know michael bennett you know he's a real issue by the way michael bennett on this team and, and how happy he is in this defensive rotation role he only got 24 snaps against tampa last week and you know, he stopped talking to the media this week. I went up to him to try to talk to him and see if he was happy. And he said he was done talking to the media. And I said, why? And he said, well, I've been talking for 10 years and I don't want to do it anymore. Uh, you know, he's been in the league for 10 years. So, uh, you know, he I don't think he's real happy in that locker room. And um, yeah, that that to me is an issue. It's, uh, you know, I don't think Cox being disrespected, if he feels he needs that motivation, fine. I, I think he gets plenty of acclaim across the country. Uh, and, and, you know, but I think the real issue is Michael Bennett up front and, and his uh, unhappiness, I believe, in his role on this team.
2: Well, we'll certainly uh, be watching this game quite intently. The both of us will be. Uh, uh, what are your final thoughts, X's and O's, and who walks away with the W column uh, against the Colts and the, the uh, Eagles?
9: Well, I mean, I, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I, you know, I just think that, uh, you know, the Eagles defense always plays great at home. Uh, not so great on the road. The Eagles feed off the emotion of the crowd with that defense at home. They're 16-3, and three, including playoffs uh, under Peterson at home. Um, you know, I just think that they're going to find a way to win. Carson Wentz will find a way to make some plays and maybe bring the level of play up uh, of everybody around him uh but I think it's going to be a low scoring game I, but I think the Eagles I think I predicted it uh, you know on my website I I think I have it 23 to 16 the Eagles
1: will win
2: Well I'm going to disagree with you on that. Uh, <laughs> only because I have to disagree with you on that. Uh, uh, you sure. probably are right, man, and there's nothing to, to say what you're saying is wrong, but I'm going to go with a Colts win. I have really enjoyed uh, watching them against the Washington Redskins. It was great to see Frank Reich get his first win. It was great to see Luck uh, playing well. Uh, and, uh, our defense, everything was kicking on all cylinders. I, I was a li- we'll talk- We want to talk about that game just a little bit. I was a little... Uh, scratching my head a little bit about what went on and what kind of day Alex Smith had because on paper and what we know about Alex Smith he's a much better quarterback than what he was on Sunday
9: yeah uh, you know Alex Smith I think has kind of been a little uh inconsistent through his career you could say um you know, that's probably why he doesn't get all the love showered upon quarterbacks. But yeah, he didn't play well, but, you know, again, you have to credit the Colts defense. You know, they were able to take away uh Adrian Peterson in that run game and uh, you know, Alex Smith couldn't deliver and you and you have to wonder about, you know, the kind of weapons he's throwing too also. I know they have a very good tight end. Um but uh you know you you question his weapons and how good the, the Redskins really are. I know they're they won their opener against the Cardinals, but, you know, I don't think the Cardinals are very good. So, you know, I'm just not sure how good the Redskins are, but listen, great win on the road in Washington uh, for the Colts. Uh, and like you said, getting that first win for Frank Reich, that, that was just great, great to see.
2: Also, just on some Colts news, uh, those that follow the Colts quite frequently, beat writer for the Indianapolis Colts, Bob Kravitz. Also, you might know him as the guy that broke the Deflategate story, also broke numerous Peyton Manning stories. Uh, One could say that he won his Pulitzer Prize because of Peyton Manning, uh, was laid off from WTHR.com unexpectedly this week. Uh, I've checked with everybody that I know, and really this and it's good news. I, th- I thought, you know, there there was something deeper than this because uh, certainly he was also the one that broke the uh, Colts uh, story regarding the Colts announcer and, and what he said. Uh, and and so I thought maybe there might be something there that was hanging around. It wasn't. Apparently, it's just budget cutbacks. It's just business. He's got an enormous salary. He's earned it. Uh And, uh, so when we, I tried to reach out to him and talk to him and he tweeted out, he goes, now I can, uh, pursue my dreams of being a dancer on dancing with stars. So he's really uh, taking it in in stride. Uh, they're, they're going to let him stay on for a couple more months. They're going to pay out his contract. So he's gonna be fine financially and I'm sure that he'll land and as you know, he was for many years a beat writer with the Indianapolis Stars. So for those that might be following that story, that's kind of what happened there. But uh man, you see you see these people with big salaries and then all of a sudden they can't be paid and they gotta go we gotta make a business decision here, uh, Ed, you know, so uh, I I have never experienced that, but so but I, I guess it happens. <laughs>
9: Oh, it happened to me, Tom. <laughs> it happened to me. True. You know, Valid point. Touche.
6: Touche.
2: Yes. Uh, yes.
9: Touche. The nature of this the nature of this business, man. It's just uh, it's a tough, tough industry. You know, a lot of industries are, but you know, uh, the media is a very tough industry. They they do like to kind of watch that bottom line. They bring in a lot of young kids, college kids that they can play pay a lot less to. Uh, you know, but that doesn't mean, you know, you're, you kind of lose out on that wealth of information and knowledge that a more experienced writer has, and, uh, that history that they bring and the ability to break stories like, uh, like this writer did. But yeah, I mean, it happens to, gosh, I don't know anybody that it hasn't happened to in this business, to be honest with you. It's just, uh, it's just the nature of the game. Unfortunately.
2: Uh, absolutely and for the record uh we did reach out and invite him to come on and talk about it one he didn't really want to he did tell me on the phone the other day that he appreciates uh the concern is forbidden uh by his current employer as the conditions of things to not talk about it publicly in the the media per se so he's uh declined to come on uh, today, but we'll, we'll uh, watch him, his work. I'm sh- quite certain that he will land on his feet somewhere, and with the connections that he has with the NFL, it won't be long before we see him again. Hey, speaking of news, if you will, a lot of hot takes around Vontae Davis, for, former coach, obviously a brother to Vernon Davis with the uh, Washington Redskins, halftime says, that's it, I'm done, I'm out of here, see ya, Peace. One, disrespectful to the Bills. I get it. The Bills aren't the best team to play for, and I get it that you're on the tail end of your career anyway. But why not finish it out? Hey, you know, you had a little bit of an injury. Why not just say, hey, uh, you know, because of injury-related stuff, I'm going to walk away and, and, you know, wait till after the game. I think it was very disrespectful to him, to the fans, and to the league, quite frankly, to just say at halftime, I'm done. What are your thoughts?
9: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's not a good look for Vontae at all to do it when he did it. But you know, and I I, and I kind of tweeted this out as you know, in in this climate of the NFL where you know players are you know struggling with CTE and concussions and
3: you know anxiety
9: disorders and you know other mental health issues. You know, I I would rather just kind of have all the facts here in the next few months. What might have been going through Vontae Davis's uh, mind? At that point, you know, could he be suffering uh, from some kind of an affliction that we're unaware of? And, you know, I know he's an easy target and and quitting at halftime isn't a good look. But, you know, you you just wonder, like, you know, maybe there's something more to it uh, than just him saying, you know what, I'm done. I quit. That's it. Uh, So my feelings are is I I really don't want to jump on Vontae Davis here. I, I just think that there could be more to it. Uh, you know, especially in the climate of the NFL, the way it is with the CTE issue and concussions. And, um, you know, we don't know uh, what's going through Vontae Davis's head at this point. He may not even know. He may he may be making decisions. He You know, he doesn't even quite understand. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm kind of on Davis's side on this one. And it's probably not a very popular place to be. Uh, but, you know, I'm not I'm not ready to judge him. Uh, based on a decision that he made after being in the league for so long, because we don't know uh, what may have led to that decision.
2: Well, another biblical reference, Judge, lest you be judge. Uh, Joining us also now is Mo from the BS Sports Show. Mo, we're talking a little bit about Vontae Davis saying at halftime, I'm done. Now, What are your thoughts?
8: Well, as a quitter myself, I I I, I didn't didn't bother me at all. I, I heard you say, you know, I thought it was a little disrespectful, but let's be honest. The product the Bills have put on the field this year has been disrespectful to all of us who've had to see it. Uh, you know, I mean, like Ed said, I don't have a problem with it. And with all the issues that with people with CTE, and you know, in my former, former profession, I've had numerous concussions. So, uh, you know, when you know and you think right now that's it, I, you know, hey, so be it. Uh, if a guy doesn't feel like he should be on the on the field or, or isn't mentally into it, I think it's a danger to himself and maybe other people, other players, if he's out there on the field. I mean, could he have waited to the end of the game? I guess so, but uh, you know, it's uh, he he made a decision that was best for him. And at the end of the day, that's all we want. uh, I think as human beings, to make decisions that are best for us and our family. So, again, as a quitter myself, I didn't have an issue with it. Mo, let's uh,
2: talk about your Cleveland Browns. Obviously, you, uh, you uh, are embedded with that local media. You talk uh, all the time. Uh, the, the Browns fans uh, have uh, the CS parted, as, as we said earlier. Uh, uh, Moses has, has raised out his, uh, his rod, if you will. The cooler lockers were unlocked, but uh, Light gave out free beer, uh, the, uh, the Browns are on a, on a streak. They are a winning streak. What is it like in the environment in Cleveland Browns local media, sir?
8: Well, I'll tell you, I was there and uh I'm still uh somewhat drunk, halfway hung over. Uh, you know, I haven't had a <laughs> beer in a while, but, watch, but, but watching those uh those uh chains be released and uh, there's a video on my on my Twitter account, at Mo Radio Show, uh of when I was up with some other ones and it was it was cool, man. It was really neat. And it felt like And it's – I know – I heard, you know, somebody talking about how, uh, you know, Browns fans, it's just a win in a regular season game. But the atmosphere in that stadium uh, that night, man, was unreal. You know, I was at the Super Bowl when the Colts won, and the atmosphere was, uh, you know, akin to that or even maybe a little bigger. When Baker Mayfield stepped on the field, uh, the the energy and the roar of that place was unbelievable. I mean, the people were cheering – the uh, the new place kicker in warm-ups as he was making field goals it was just it was unbelievable and you know I was uh, I was also in Cleveland when the uh, when my Cubs won the World Series and to uh, and went to the parade and to see people cheer like that it was like that in Cleveland that night it was just unbelievable people just still in the streets happy it was it was a sight um, now you have got to move on and try to win another football game uh, I, I think at this point the most of the talk now Uh, in our area is about, uh, you know, Hugh Jackson and making the quarterback decision. To me, there's no decision to make. Uh, You know, uh, I think Hugh Jackson's got to hitch his wagon to Baker Mayfield and try to keep his job and and win some football games. It's sad to see. Here's the problem for me in Cleveland is that I like Tyron Taylor a lot, you know, just a few times in the locker room with him. He seems like a really good dude, uh, a good leader on the football team, and, and a good quarterback. You know, I, I thought what happened to him in Buffalo was dirty by those guys. I, it just it, – the problem is I think that people, uh, fans seem, tend to like Tyrod Taylor, but obviously they want their Baker Mayfield. So that's the only sad part of it is, is to see, you know, probably Tyrod Taylor hit the bench. But most of the talk, you know, since uh, after the win now, and especially this morning so far, has been about uh, will Hugh Jackson make the decision to, uh, to play Baker Mayfield. I think he will, I think, over the last, uh, you know, day or so and after the game. He was saying all the right things to, you know, to not uh, to protect his other quarterback, Tyrod Taylor, but uh, it seems like it's Baker Mayfield time in Cleveland now, and and the fans, man, uh, are stoked. I'm so happy I get to be there because it was such a cool atmosphere
2: i i bet i bet it was and i can tell you one thing i and i'm, I'm not in a position to say yes or no but if he if he does start tyrod uh next week uh he's going to be fired uh so uh mo what do you got for uh uh i mean ed what do you got for mo on the big win in cleveland and it's no longer the mistake on the lake <laughs>
9: <laughs> yeah I, well congratulations uh to the browns uh mo um You know, I saw that outpouring of uh, emotion and love and support when the fans took to the streets, and it kind of reminded me of when the Eagles won the Super Bowl and, you know, how the uh, Eagles fans felt about that. But uh, I I had a question. You know, it's interesting uh, to hear Hugh Jackson talk about checking with the coaching staff and with the general manager, John Dorsey, as far as, you know, who he's going to start at quarterback. Does John Dorsey have say over – on-the-field decisions that Hugh Jackson makes? I mean, why would he have to consult with John Dorsey on this decision? You would never hear, like, a, a Doug Peterson say, i got to see with Howie Roseman if Carson Wentz can play this week. I, I mean, or Nick Foles. I, you know, to me it's just curious that he brings up John Dorsey uh, in the decision-making process.
8: Until now, I mean, nobody would has said it public or, or would say it, but – Make no mistake about it. John Dorsey is 100% in charge of this football team in all aspects, in my opinion. Uh, you know, during training camp, there were a lot of uh, on-field decisions being made at times, and during preseason games, that were there were things that John Dorsey wanted. Uh, and I think at this point, you know, Hugh Jackson knows, you know, as, as you guys know, when when a new GM comes in, the likelihood of, of a coach being retained, especially a team as bad as the Browns, is you know almost none. So I think at this point, Hugh realizes that. His only shot is to, uh, is to be, uh, you know, do what, uh, what John Dorsey wants. It reminds me a lot Ed, of the uh, situation in Dallas where a lot of people accuse uh, you know, their head coach of being a puppet for Jerry Jones. I wouldn't say that it's like that with you, but, but John Dorsey has immersed himself in this football team, which I guess you know, what Cleveland's wanted for so long is to have a front office that's competent and that, you know, they really feel like they're making moves to make this football team better. You know, one move that 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 was made, you know, with Denzel Ward, you know, Edna, you and I talked about this with Tom, I think, you know, right after the draft that, you know, what were they doing picking Denzel Ward? We we had the dreams of Bradley Chubb and Miles Garrett playing with each other, but, you know, Denzel Ward has been impressive, you know, and I, for one, on my radio show just yesterday said, you know, apologize to the Browns of their front office, you know, because, I was such a, a, a D bag them by criticizing that pick so much, but you know, it, it seems that, that that they made the right pick for that football team at this time. But yeah, you know, Dorsey is immersed in every aspect of the football team, including the coaching staff. And, uh, you know, there's been, uh, there's been a few disagreements, uh, between, uh, Todd Haley and John Dorsey off the field, uh, here and there. But, uh, yeah, John Dorsey's run this football team in every aspect. Yeah. So, no,
9: would... go ahead. Ed, I was just going to say, Mo, you know, I could even go one better. I mean, yeah, I didn't like to pick a Denzel and I remember talking with you, and I I even questioned the move to draft Baker Mayfield uh, first overall. And, you know, it's looking like I'm I'm wrong about that, too, because, you know, Mayfield really really showed me something in that game, the way he just came out with no fear, no hesitation. And, you know, after getting limited reps probably as the backup quarterback, you know, during the week, but he came out, showed he had a good control of the game plan, and he wasn't afraid to make quick decisions and just throw that ball all over the place. So, I was really impressed, and I questioned that move a draft of drafting Mayfield. But now I kind of have to recount that too because I I think Mayfield can play, and I think the Browns uh, with him at quarterback are just going to keep getting better and better.
8: Yeah, me too. You know what? I, what I think is is that I think that that Sam Darnold may be the more talented quarterback, but I, I really think that this is one of those aspects where. They did a good job, the Browns front office, in picking the guy that fits them. You know, it, it, it took a guy with the swagger, I think, of Baker to come in there and, and uh, you know, to be with that football team. That's one of the things that the Browns lacked over the, you know, the past however many years is a swagger, uh, and I think Baker was right for that job. You know, at the end of the day, you know, 10 years from now, we may talk about Sam Darnold was the more talented guy, but I think Baker was the right guy for Cleveland because I, I think we all question that pick. You know, what, what the hell are you guys doing? especially after the, the debacle of Johnny Manziel, but I really think they really uh, you know, put a lot of time into finding their guy, and I, I think they really have. They found their guy.
2: Well, guys, let's talk a little bit more about some of these other teams around the NFL while we've got just a, a, a few minutes uh, uh, left, if you will, and, and uh, as I mentioned earlier on in the show, erroneously, I said that, uh, that Sam Bradford uh, parted the Red Seas with his staff, uh, but really it was uh, Baker Mayfield, but That said, uh, Sam Bradford is with Arizona where quarterbacks go to uh, uh, be put out to pasture. And he is not parting the Red Sea uh, in Arizona. There's some serious struggles right now with Arizona and questions about Sam Bradford at the helm, Ed.
9: Yeah, and yet their team's still willing to pay him millions and millions of dollars to go out and throw for 90 yards in a football game. Uh, I just don't get it. Um, you know, you look around the league here, you see the success Mayfield's had in his uh, debut. And, you know, Darnold's doing okay. You know, he's not really lighting it up yet, but he shows some ability and some things you can uh, be happy with. And, I, you know, I just think if you're looking at that and you're the GM in Arizona, why not go with Josh Rosen? Why not put him in there? Um, you know, can he do any worse than what Bradford's doing? Let's, let's get the future started right now. And, you know, I think there's a ticking clock on Bradford I'm not sure why he's even going to start Sunday. I guess he is. I haven't seen anything that says he won't. But, uh, you know, you really have to wonder how much longer he's going to be the starter there.
2: Mo, don't you think it's time for the Josh Rosen era to begin in Arizona?
8: Yeah, for sure, because if you look at, you know, and the funny thing about it is that you look at Sam Bradford, he's the last guy that got that humongous guaranteed paycheck uh, as the first uh, number one overall pick where, you know, you're a team back then you screw up at that pick. You really damage your franchise for years, uh, you know, and now, you know, you see a lot of teams uh, when they draft that quarterback early, try to do the, the Seattle Seahawks, uh, you know, game plan where you've got, you know, a, a four year window uh, to have a, a quarterback who isn't, you know, costing you a fortune like he will on a second contract and, and build up those other positions. So if I'm in Arizona now, there's no way Sam Bradford sees the field again. I'm trying to get Josh Rosen ready and trying to build that team up around him while I still have him on a reasonable deal. So, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't get starting Sam Bradford again. The Arizona's looked terrible. Uh, you know, at, at times, last week even worse than the Bills did. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's Josh Rosen time in Arizona for me.
2: Could you look, uh, look worse than the Bills? Uh, the Bills got the Vikings this week. Uh, obviously, the Vikings, uh, man, fantastic job against the Green Bay. I made a stupid decision in fantasy football to, uh, in one of my leagues to set uh, Aaron Rodgers and play Alex Smith. Big mistake on my part. But yet we saw another day, game end in a tie, Ed. But the Bills and the Vikings uh, tomorrow. We'll try to get through some of these games as quick as possible. I like the Vikings. I don't think there's much really to talk about on this game.
9: Nope. The Vikings, I think, are going to be without Dalvin Cook, the running back, and Everson Griffin, the real good pass rusher. But I don't think it'll matter. Bills aren't aren't good at all. Uh, Vikings should freeze in this one.
2: Uh, Mo, let's talk a little bit about the Giants and the Texans. The Texans are the real deal, and unfortunately, they are in the AFC South. Uh, and uh, But... We do like the way the Colts are looking. If the Colts can pull off a win tomorrow against Philadelphia and and go on a winning streak of two, I think certainly nobody thought that they could beat, uh, would win against the Redskins. I don't think anybody thinks uh, that they'll win against the Eagles. Uh, And and I love you, Ed, but I'm really uh, rooting hard for the Colts. But the Texans and the Giants, Mo, I tell you what, uh, I don't like the Texans. I like the Giants in this matchup.
8: Well, what scares me is that this could be the uh you know I feel like uh, like Eli Manning's walking the Green Mile right now because if you look the way this offensive lines played the last few weeks especially last week in Dallas and you look at that defense of the Houston Texans uh, it, it scares me that that Eli won't uh, be living after this football game it, it's uh I like what the Giants have on paper a lot better than I do what the Texans have but uh it, between uh between Eli not having time to uh, do anything with the football. And I think you noticed last week a couple different times on a couple different different plays that Eli instead of looking downfield was watching you know the pass rush because he was hit so many times that I think he started diverting watching the pass rush more than looking downfield for receivers and, and I think when a quarterback does that that you know that's uh he he looked very David Carrish of me in that situation last week. Um, I, I can't see the Giants going 0-3. Uh, Houston struggled a little bit on offense.
6: I'm,
8: I have the Giants. Uh, I bet the Giants just because I'm getting points. But, uh, you know, to me, it's probably a Houston win, but I, I put money on the Giants because I'm getting points. But I, uh, I worry for the safety of the Eli Manning tomorrow. And let's talk a little bit about
2: uh, Well, my two fantasy quarterbacks In one of my leagues, Alex Smith and Aaron Rodgers uh, Both kind of a beat-up team If you will, I, I guess uh, Rodgers is going to start, Alex Smith is going to start uh, Who do I start? Well, I guess I'm going to start uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers But uh, Aaron uh, The Packers make a visit to uh, uh, D.C. Uh, and if the the Redskins Play like they did against the Colts uh, The Packers are looking At another win
9: Yeah, you know, this is a big game for Washington, obviously. This is the second home game in a row, and they've already lost one of them. You don't, you know, you're not going to make the playoffs if you don't defend your home turf. And uh, it's a huge game for Washington to make a statement. I just don't think they're the better team, and I think Green Bay is going to uh, come out, and they're going to find a way to win this game. And uh, I'm not sure how good the Redskins are at this point. They beat the Cardinals in the opener, but we've all determined how bad the Cardinals are. So, to me, Washington isn't doesn't have the roster that can stack up the Green Bays. And uh, I certainly give the edge at quarterback to Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I just think Green Bay is going to hand Washington their second home loss of the season already.
2: Mo, we talk a little bit about the Kansas City Chiefs, another one of my fantasy quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes. Very, very impressed with them. Although, uh, watching the Chiefs, they don't have a rushing game. Uh, They've got a lot of issues on the field. Uh, But uh, I I think they'll do just fine against the 49ers. And maybe the 49ers are starting to uh, second-guess their $100 million milf-toting quarterback. Well,
8: you know, at this point, uh, well, I don't think the 49ers would question it at this point because I think Jimmy Grapple does have talent. And I think when you had fallen on hard times like San Francisco had, uh, you needed a guy who was a face of the franchise, who's a fan who'll get behind. So uh, I think a lot of times fans would, uh, you know, sometimes you look too much into money uh, like that. But, you know, they were a team that needed a face, and, and they've got one. As far as Kansas City goes, you know, I don't think anybody could predict the start of Patrick Mahomes. Uh, but one thing that concerns me is this team reminds me uh, a lot of the, uh, the 2006 uh, Colts team that won the uh, Super Bowl because it, the defense has struggled, and uh, it feels like Patrick Mahomes and that offense is going to have to go out and put up 30 or 40 points a game uh, just because that defense has struggled the last couple games. They were up big and let Pittsburgh get back in the game, but the offense for the Chiefs is dynamic, and it's fun to watch.
2: Ed, the uh, future Las Vegas Raiders uh, take on the current Miami Dolphins, and the Miami Dolphins uh, look like uh, they're uh, ready to uh, to handle the NFL this this year, and I think that they definitely can handle a Raiders team who is not focused on 2018 at all.
7: Yeah, well, the Raiders
9: came close last week uh, to winning, but uh, couldn't quite pull it off, and um you know, you're right. The Dolphins certainly have started well from the from the start here. They're two and zero, um, and you know, I just don't know if they're for real yet or if they're a, a pretender. Uh, but to me, they're two and zero. You are what your record says you are, and Oakland's zero two. So yeah, I would expect Miami at home uh, to, to beat the Raiders. It's funny to keep hearing John Gruden talk about how it's hard to find pass rushers uh, when he just let Khalil Mack go. And I talked about it last week. I just think it's hard to square in that locker room that uh, they let their best player and a very good person just walk out the door uh, and go to Chicago. And, you know, players can say, oh, well, you know, we're over it now. But, listen, that's a, it's a tough kick kick in the, in the stomach to take when your best player isn't with you anymore. Uh, so i like Miami to win this game.
2: Mo, you weren't on the conversation with Ed and I earlier about the Colts and the Eagles, but certainly want to get your thoughts on the Colts and the Eagles. Uh, I like the Colts going to be a close game. I think that, the, that as I mentioned to Ed earlier, this is a very winnable uh, game for the Colts uh, because of the injury list uh, with the Eagles. Uh, certainly uh, impressed uh, with the upward uh, momentum with the Colts from last week's win. Uh, the Colts and the Eagles, Mo.
8: You know, uh, with the Colts, you know, you've had uh, a few guys on, on defense that have been pleasant surprises, especially, you know, at linebacker. Um, you know, what hurts the Colts in this football game is that there is no Marlon Mack, there is no Jack Doyle. Uh, I think that's going to be tough for uh, for Andrew Luck. Uh, you know, this defense has got to continue. It, it's been don't break uh, type play. Uh, you know, for the Eagles, missing Darren Sproles and J.J., I think uh, is big. Uh, you know, with with Carson Wentz coming back. And and to me, I think that's the key to the game is how comfortable is he going to feel in real live game action out there? Uh, Can the Colts make him uncomfortable and and, and force him to make some mistakes? Because, you know, regardless, when you have an injury like that, I I would have to assume, uh, not having played played quarterback and come back from an injury like that, but I have to assume that that's in your mind at some point coming back from a catastrophic injury like that. I, I assumed it was in Andrew Luck's mind when he played his first preseason game coming back. So I, I think the Colts' uh, main uh, you know, focus is to try to make Carson Wentz uncomfortable. Uh, you know, it, it, the load will be on Corey uh, uh, Clement to, uh, to handle the rushing load. And so it'll be interesting to see. I, I do like the, uh, you know, the Eagles on defense uh, against this Colts offense. But, uh, you know, I think the onus is on the Colts' defense in this game, not the offense, to, uh, to make Wentz uncomfortable.
2: And uh, let's say uh, we got one more game that I wanted to cover. Uh, I know we're not going to be able to get to all the games, uh, but certainly a big AFC South matchup. The Titans and the Jaguars. Jaguars are the real deal, and, and uh, they certainly uh, demand respect and are getting respect finally, uh, you, you could say, in the AFC South especially. But the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Titans, uh, I don't like, I mean, I know there was a lot of. Uh, uh, singing about the Titans being a Super Bowl favorite or a, a, a AFC championship game favorite. Uh, but right now you got to go with the Jaguars in this matchup.
9: Well, absolutely. Uh, you know, especially if Marcus Mariota doesn't play, I know he, I think he's going to be a game time decision uh, for the Titans and then, but Jacksonville's going to be probably without Fournette and maybe Jalen Ramsey too. But uh, you know, you're right. The Jags are for real. They were for real last year. they, they, they should have been in the Super Bowl against the Eagles uh, had, had they just stayed a little bit more aggressive In that AFC title game against the Patriots So, you know, they've got that feeling of some unfinished business And uh, right now they seem to be on a mission And boy, that defense is just so, so good And if Mariota's not there I, You know, they would struggle with Mariota at quarterback uh, I think uh, the Titans would against this defense But then whoever the backup is to put him out there uh, Against this defense just doesn't feel like a fair fight So, uh, you know, I do like the Jags to win this game
2: Mo, the bearded man with the pencil in his ear Meets his old teammates, the Patriots The Lions are playing like crap And the Patriots are playing Patriot football uh, No one likes the Patriots But man, if you're a Lions fan You've got to be very disappointed with with uh, Matt, Patricia What are your thoughts on him meeting his old team The New England Patriots? You
8: know, I think at times That uh, the coaches get too much credit or too much blame uh, but so far, you know, what I've seen, uh, with the, uh, with the Lions, I think a lot of it does fall on that Patricia, because, you know, game one on that Monday night, they didn't, they looked terrible. They didn't look prepared. Uh, and, and I think that there are a lot of issues, uh, with him in that coaching staff. And, and I think that things continue to get worse for that team. Uh, you know, obviously I you would assume that Bill Belichick always wants to show it. Hey, that, uh that I'm still the man. The teacher still rules the student, uh, you know, even regardless of what the, uh, you know, relationship is like with him and Matt Patricia. I'm sure he's happy that, uh, you know, another one of those guys got had a coaching job, but I think that he's going to look to pour it on, on his uh, former defensive coordinator uh, and the Detroit lions.
2: And final game uh, Monday night, the Steelers not looking good at all. And the Buccaneers looking very good. And Carson Wentz is not and Carson Wentz. I got Got him on my mind. <laughs> <laughs> the t- Tampa Bay uh, quarterback, uh, I think, is uh, uh, Jamison Winston. That was in my mind. I'm so sorry. See, dude, I just I- I'm flowing. <laughs> I'm flowing. I can't get Carson Wentz off my mind. Jamison Winston. You can see how they sound alike. Jamison Winston will not be back as the uh, quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Steelers. Man, uh, they got some uh, Days of Our Life drama going on.
1: Yeah,
9: well, two things there. Fitzmagic, Ryan Fitzpatrick's, you know, had a rebirth down there. He's got some great weapons to throw to, Uh, you know, with the Sean Jackson who had a great game against the Eagles. Uh, But, you know, Jackson's always motivated to play the Eagles after they kind of just cut him unceremoniously under Chip Kelly. Uh, So he had a huge game. But Mike Evans is very good. I like Chris Godwin. You know, their tight end O.J. Howard. I mean, you just go on and on. The one thing the Bucs don't do very well is run the ball, Uh, you know, and that could – could be a liability at some point. But right now, that Steelers secondary seems awfully susceptible after giving up six touchdown passes to Patrick Mahomes last week. So, uh, you know, you're right. And the Steelers are kind of like as the world turns, man. It's like a soap opera over there with all the stuff going on. Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell again won't play. And, you know, now Ben Roethlisberger is being mentioned in Stormy Daniels' book about how he was a real creep to her when, you know, him and Trump were together uh, with her. So, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff going on with that team. And, uh, you know, I know they're a favorite to win in Tampa Bay. But, you know, I'm a believer in, in Fitzmagic, man. I'm a, I'm a believer in the Bucs. I think you're going to find a way to win this game at home Monday night.
2: Hey, hey, Mo, was I wrong? Or was that was that Fitzpatrick or was that Connor McGregor, the new quarterback for the uh, uh, Tampa Bay Buc- Buccaneers?
6: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it, it's,
8: cool that, uh, it's cool to see that Ryan Fitzpatrick's having fun with it. And, and, you know, I think I mentioned it before, and I, to me, uh, if you're Tampa Bay, you you know, so long Jameis Winston, because I think that if Jameis Winston was on the field these last two games, I don't know that the Bucks win either one of them. You see when a guy comes in prepared and knows how to play the position and, and what can happen. You know, these guys, they've put weapons around Jameis Winston and nothing's been able to seem to all come together. Uh, the problem is, is though, that Ryan's – Fitzpatrick has been kind of a team ruiner because you bring the guy in, he winds up somehow or the other, you know, getting there to start. plays why he's good. And then you, you decide you're going to stick with Fitzpatrick another year. And then, you, you know, you're back to the square one again. But I, I do like what Ryan Fitzpatrick has done down there. Uh, you know, and the Bucks being a home underdog on Monday night uh, was a no-brainer for me. That was the first game I jumped on earlier in the week. Uh, I, I like the Tampa Bay Bucks in this game. I think the Steelers are a mess uh, now on both sides of the ball. Uh, just because of the drama, you know, going on with the offensive uh, side of the ball with Le'Veon Bell and, and Antonio Brown, and, and the defense is, is terrible. Uh, so uh, I, I like Tampa Bay in this game, and it'll, uh, it'll be fun to see uh, what Ryan Fitzpatrick Lee keeps his uh, post-game press conference fun going.
2: <laughs> Real quickly, uh, Mo, I, I wanted to get to this earlier. I know we kind of – I have a tendency to, to ramble on about things and, and just ignore the clock sometimes, so the clock is not my friend sometimes. But I always want to try to get from you the, the top three or five teams that, hey, uh, I'm, a, I'm a weekend better. I'm a weekend warrior, I want to bet on college, I want to bet on the NFL, uh, who to put my money on, who not to put my money on. Uh, let's say the, for the top three to five safe bets for this week.
8: Uh, you know, uh, the Tampa Bay game on Monday night uh, is is one for me. Uh, I like I said, I do like that game a lot. Um, one that I put money on the, you know, this team has done very well for me uh, covering spreads. Uh, but I put money today on the uh, on the uh, Hoosiers of Indiana getting uh, almost yeah, points baby. at home. Homecoming against uh, against Michigan State. They've looked uh, they've looked good so far this year, uh, and they're a team that covers the spread almost 80% of the time in, uh, in Big Ten play. So uh, I actually like IU, to win the one that came out right today, but uh, they've, they're a team that, uh, that covers the spread very well. Um, you know, the, uh, let's see, um, the Giants game uh, is a game where the Giants are getting five, uh, probably going to be six by tomorrow. Uh, if you like the Giants, six points is a you know is a is a pretty big leap. Uh, and, and honestly, the uh, if you got them early in the week, the Minnesota Vikings Buffalo Bills game uh, has gotten ridiculous as far as the line goes now. But early in the week, it was a fun one. And uh, uh, the no-brainer of the week uh, seems like the Bears at Arizona. Uh, the Bears uh, uh, only giving up three points uh, early on in the week to Arizona, who's terrible going against the more defense in the league. Uh, so that was the uh, the no-brainer of the week.
2: Okay, guys, we gotta gotta go. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, with the Sports Exchange. Check him out at www.footballmaven.io. io/slash eagles. I'm Mo for the BS Sports Show. Ed, uh, I know that I just said where can people find your work on your masterpieces, but it sounds so much better coming from you. Go ahead, sir.
9: <laughs> well, you can just hit me up <laughs> on Twitter too, Tom. At uh, Kratz, oh, yeah. E-K-R-A-C-Z-E, You can put
2: Mo, uh, where can people find you and, uh, you know, stalk you and uh, uh, talk with you about random things?
8: (laughs) Uh, Well, I prefer they don't. I'm not a big people person. Uh, But if you you feel inclined (laughs) to, like you need to, uh, on Twitter, at Mo Radio Show.
2: All right, guys, you all have a good weekend. And let's say go Colts, man. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Go Colts, yeah, Ed, Ed. Thumbs up or thumbs down? The Colts? Uh, thumbs down. <laughs> Mo, uh, thumbs up or thumbs down? The Colts.
8: <laughs> uh, a, a th- I'm gonna give it a thumbs in the middle because uh, I like you both.
2: All right, sounds good. All right, <laughs> you guys have a, have a good weekend, and we'll catch up with you soon.
9: Hey, thanks, guys. See ya.
2: Thanks, Matthew Embry, for joining us in the first part of the hour, uh, breaking down the uh, IndyCar 2018 season, uh, and also talking some college football with Rick Riggan. We'll try our best to be back with Breaking Rink on Wednesday. Uh, Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and uh, uh, official NFL contributor, and Mo from the BS uh, Sports Show. My name is Tom Marquis. El Presidente. Uh, man, what a day! What a day! What a day! Right. I, it, it would have to start off rough and, and end rough. Anyway, I'm out of here. Don't drink a drive. And it isn't cool. Deuces.